0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18 plus. The list of things to do in Seattle is long.
0: The Odessa Brown Children's Clinic in Seattle's Central District is a place where low-income people, children of color, immigrants, and refugees can find compassionate care, which they might otherwise go without. The status quo for health care is not satisfactory. For many families, Dr. Ben Danielson has been their caretaker.
3: He's an icon. He is one of Seattle's true treasures that needs to be celebrated.
0: Ron Sims is a King 5 political analyst and former King County executive who worked with Dr. Danielson in the community.
4: He has one goal. He wants children who are ill to get better, no matter their color, no matter their faith, He wants them to get better. He's totally dedicated to their health care and their personal welfare.
0: Sims and many others were shocked to learn Dr. Danielson resigned in protest in November, accusing the clinic's owner, Seattle Children's, of racism, according to an extensive new article in Crosscut. Dr. Danielson said he and others were targets of racial slurs from a superior, and said two colleagues of color had either been fired or were pressured to resign. Danielson told Crosscut, quote, the institution is replete with racism and a disregard for people who don't look like them in leadership. In a statement to King 5, Seattle Children's says it respects Dr. Danielson's decision to leave. Quote, while some of the claims made were investigated a decade ago, we are examining the issues raised. We are committed to racial equity, diversity, and inclusion, while also holding ourselves accountable and continuing to do the work required to address systemic racism when and where it exists. Earlier this month on a virtual panel, Dr. Danielson said this about his former workplace. What our clinic places at the highest value uh, is respect and dignity. We reached out to Dr. Danielson for this story tonight, but we have not heard back. The Puget Sound Business Journal reports a group of community and business leaders, after they learned of his resignation, sent a tersely worded letter to Seattle Children's administrators demanding an investigation. Joyce?
5: And about that letter, there are some very prominent people who have signed on to that. Doctors, philanthropists, elected leaders, McLemore and others.
0: That's right, Joyce, and many of them are donors. They give a lot of money to Seattle Children's each year, and they want some answers. They're also asking for a virtual meeting with the leadership of the hospital the first week of the new year. So a lot of questions here to answer. This isn't over yet.
6: Why haven't you learned anything? Probably My biggest regret as a school board member is that I didn't act on on this uh, sooner.
7: New at six, a woman is who's suing the Gateway School District claims her interracial marriage cost her a job. She says a school board member called her husband a racial slur
5: in a text message.
8: But that board member told Channel 11 News reporter Joe Arena that text
9: was taken out of context. Context. Despite her qualifications, a woman who applied for a job here at the Gateway School District says she wasn't hired because her husband is African American. And her attorney says it appears the proof was swept under the rug for nearly a year. It's insulting. Attorney Todd Hollis has filed a lawsuit claiming the Gateway School District rejected his client's application for the position of athletic director because she was and remains married to an African-American man. But it wasn't until about 10 days ago that Corey Morton Rozier, his client, was made aware of this group text from early February of last year. Members of the group included Gateway School Board members, and in particular, board member paul calieri and in this snapshot of a conversation about morton rosier Cagliari writes didn't she start dating the darkies and about five minutes later Cagliari responds to his previous text writing this misfire nobody on this text chain married into the darkie family but just below that another school board member asks paul to explain his text School board member Rick McIntyre was also a part of this chain, and he tells me that Cagliari told him he didn't realize he was on a group text and thought he was just talking to McIntyre. But McIntyre says it was clear that regardless of Cagliari's explanation... That's not what the text was about. And McIntyre, in fact, is the reason this story is public today. He took this screen grab and shared it, something he wishes he'd done sooner.
6: Probably my biggest regret as a school board member is that I didn't act upon well. this uh, sooner. Uh, It's it's been weighing on me pretty heavily since February.
9: And as for why this woman did not get the job, McIntyre says it had nothing to do with race. But for Hollis and his client, this incident highlights what could be a bigger problem.
10: To the extent that nine school board members
9: were aware of this information 10 days ago and only one came forward is a problem. And the man at the center of this whole thing, Paul Cagliari, talked to me over the phone and shared this statement. The text message from February 2020 you're talking about was meant for a different text chain. Darkie is the last name of the people I was talking about. He also offered an apology, saying, the first thing I would do is apologize for the confusion and hurt this has caused. I would also tell her that I was a big advocate of her to get the AD position. In Monroeville, Joe Arena, Channel 11 News.
11: and we we kept telling her you know that we would take him
12: her dog was put down she says without her knowledge and that may not have been the worst thing to happen there Good evening, everybody. I'm Brian Mudd.
13: I'm Lauren Motter. That woman is from Morton, and she says she's outraged because she says the city of Morton euthanized her family's dog without her knowledge, and that is not all that she's alleging tonight. K-Max Matthew Stell is here to explain, and Matthew, she says a racial slur was used.
14: Yeah, Lauren and Brian, Brenda Johnson Baldwin works as a local tax professional. She has two master's degrees, but she never thought in 2020 she'd be called something out of her name by who she says was a public official. Brenda johnson Baldwin says 2020 was a tough one.
11: My mama died one in October. My dad died three weeks later. And then my brother died three weeks after that.
14: One of the things that gave the family some sense of comfort was her pit bull prince.
11: He was not aggressive. There is a difference between aggressive and protective. If there was no one to protect at the house, he would... um, he would let anybody come up. He wasn't a guard dog, let's say it like that.
14: Including one incident this fall when Prince bit a male woman when she got too close to the front door.
11: She said it was her fault because she knew Prince. She knew how he reacts.
14: But then Baldwin says around Thanksgiving, the city of Morton came and took Prince while no one was home, claiming that he had gotten loose in the neighborhood.
11: I said, there's no way Prince should have gotten loose. I said, somebody had to let him let him go.
14: Knowing that Prince's behavior was probably not going to get better, the family decided it was best to give the dog to some relatives in Dallas once they got him back. Baldwin says for days they kept hitting a wall with Morton City manager Brenda Shaw. But an opportunity came when Baldwin approached Shaw in a Morton store, hoping to resolve the issue.
11: I said, I'm Brenda Johnson Baldwin. She was, I said, I'm Leo and Mary Jane's daughter. She was like, I know who you are.
14: And as Baldwin puts it, the conversation got pretty
11: heated. And she said, no. You will not. Y'all will not get him back, right? And I, I cussed again. I cussed, and I I said, you know, effing, you know, I for you know, this don't even make sense.
14: But according to Baldwin, when things got worse,
11: alleging that Shaw called her the N word, she said, "That's what you do. You resort to cussing. It is a sign of ignorance." That's what she said.
14: It was only a few days after the exchange when Baldwin says Shaw called the family and told them that Prince had been put down.
11: How do you do that? And we we kept telling her, you know, that we would take him.
14: Baldwin saying the entire situation hurts not only because she believes Shaw's words were blatantly racist, but because of the loss the family had just experienced, especially given the fact that Baldwin's father spent 20 years working for the city of Morton
11: she knew my mom had passed she knew my father had passed all she had to do is give him to us
14: Baldwin hopes her speaking out leads to some change starting with the removal of Shaw as city manager
11: Morton is Morton and if they do something about it I will be surprised
14: we reached out to Shaw about all of this specifically if she did in fact use that racial slur she tells us she has no comment on the
15: allegations. Brian, Matthew, thank you.
16: So, you know, these events that keep coming up, instead of just reacting, dealing with them one at a time and being shocked each time we have another event that surfaces that we, that is brought to our attention, we need to function from the position of an analysis that clarifies we are in a total system structure of racism, white supremacy, and that is why we are seeing the kinds of behaviors from individuals, be it Donald Sterling or be it uh, George Zimmerman or any of the other cases that come to our attention. There is a reason that these cases exist. And I want to also talk about, in this case, they talked about mental health, but also gun control. And we have to begin to understand. I say you can't understand the gun mania if you don't understand racism, white supremacy. The gun is the answer to conscious and or subconscious. The answer, the response to the quite collective feeling they can be genetically annihilated by black genetic material, and the gun is a great equalizer. I encourage everybody to get a copy of the ISIS papers and read. On the last day
17: of 2020, at least 20 people were shot and killed in the United States. Among them, one was a teenager in Philly. Another man was killed in San Jose, California. A 75-year-old was shot in Richmond, Virginia, and a man and a woman were found shot dead inside their vehicle in Louisville, Kentucky, Those deaths end a record-breaking year for gun homicides in America. According to the Gun Violence Archive, a total of at least 19,223 people lost their lives due to gun violence in 2020. And that's almost a 25% jump from the year before. We're going to dig into this now with Dr. Sonali Rajan. She's from the Columbia Scientific Union for the Reduction of Gun Violence. And she joins us now from New York City. Welcome to the program.
18: Good morning. Thank you for having me here today. It is a pleasure to have you. This
17: was a year that saw a pandemic. People are suffering economic hardship, mental health stress. Um is that something that, you know, is being looked
18: into perhaps the correlation to the pressures of the moment? Oh, absolutely. So Certainly the collective trauma, grief, economic anxiety, stress that all were exacerbated because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Uh, all of that certainly came to a head this past year. And there are a confluence of factors, so many reasons why gun violence increased during 2020. So
19: tell
17: me what some of those reasons are. I mean, what are you looking into?
18: So one reason that is almost certainly a contributing factor was the uptick in gun sales. I think in March alone, two million guns had been sold. And so we saw this increase in gun sales that persisted throughout 2020. You know, There are different kinds of gun violence. We have mass shootings. We have day-to-day community gun violence. We see suicide by firearms. So some factors may have played a greater role in in contributing to the increase of one type of gun violence versus another. But that being said, one of the things that certainly could have played a factor as well is that public resources simply were diverted due to the pandemic. So the work of violence interrupters, social programs, and support services not being as readily available.
17: This has also been a year of racial justice protests over police brutality. How does that fit into this? Is there a policing part of this that we should consider?
18: Yes, absolutely. So police violence in particular is a devastating problem here in the United States. Um, Police officers are three times more likely to fatally shoot a black individual than a white individual, for example. And we saw this year racism intersecting in a way with gun violence and with the COVID pandemic that really took its toll on black and brown communities in particular.
17: Are there any other demographic things that jumped out at you? Um, I'm wondering particularly about gender. Uh, Have we seen a surge in gender-based violence?
18: We did see an uptick in domestic violence this past year, largely due to the fact that Far more people were home and there was much more isolation. And as I was mentioning, reductions in availability of support services. And we do see that in the context of domestic violence in particular, that women are disproportionately impacted.
17: Here in D.C., we've also seen this big uptick in shootings. And they use things like violence interrupters, which you've mentioned, to try and break that cycle. What works when we're trying to combat this and why hasn't it been happening?
18: You know historically the the conversation around solutions to gun violence have really focused on policies. And there are there's some really rigorous excellent scientific evidence that has clearly illustrated that there are policies that would help contribute to reductions in certain types of gun violence for example a federal assault weapons ban or tightening background check laws or large capacity magazine bans. But to get to sort of your question, which I think is really the million dollar question, is what are the other non-policy oriented ways in which we could be thinking about the prevention of gun violence? This could include investing in community building programs, violence interrupter programs.
17: And that's when people go into the community, actually figure out where the violence is coming from and really try to mediate between the different groups to make sure that the temperature gets lowered.
18: That's part of it. It's also really an investment in, in the community as well. So I would say that these programs that have shown to be effective are, are really thinking about the issue, not just in the context of preventing the acts of gun violence themselves, but also getting to really the root causes of some of this kind of violence. Other examples that kind of go hand in hand with this are efforts to improve housing conditions or to address issues of green space, investing in mental health interventions. So a lot of the work that I do is really looking at school-based gun violence, which is very tied to community violence. And so there are, are a plethora of solutions from that angle that we could be investing in
17: what you're describing is that there are federal policies, there are laws that can be enacted that could help curb perhaps the supply of guns and the way that we deal with guns in society. But on a local level, either community-based or in the school, there are things that can be done to target things more specifically. My question is, what do you expect to
18: change with the new federal government coming in and the new Congress, if anything? I am hoping that President elect Biden and his administration will prioritize the prevention of gun violence as the public health crisis that it is. And in the vein of what I've just been describing here, that they will see the prevention of gun violence really as an opportunity to address these larger systemic issues. If you
17: look at statistics on gun violence, you see that pretty much there is a constant, it fluctuates between 13,000 to 15,000 every year for all the years that I've looked at it at least the last decade or so. Uh, We saw this huge uptick now, but it seems that there is an endemic problem here that really has not been addressed because all the things you're talking about really haven't moved the needle. For
18: Up until just last year, there was no federal funding allocated for the study of the prevention of gun violence. So, I continue to be incredibly optimistic about the funds that were allocated most recently in the fiscal year 2021 spending deal, about $25 million, to go towards the study of gun violence prevention and how can we be addressing this issue. But we need so much more.
17: That's Dr. Sonali Rajan, Associate Professor in the Department of Health and Behavioral Studies at Columbia University. Thank you very much.
18: Thank you.
20: I think I would, I don't, I honestly question if I would still be living and or what my mental health would be. So, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know where I would be if I stayed in Wisconsin.
19: Two civil claims with one goal in mind, to hold those who may have played a part in the events resulting in the death of Anthony Huber and the shooting of Gage Grosskreutz in Kenosha on August 25th accountable.
21: He will died that night. My client nearly died that night.
19: That's why. Two $10 million claims are on the Kenosha County Board of Supervisors' agenda Tuesday for discussion after being filed by attorneys for the estate of Anthony Huber and Gage Grosskreutz. Kyle Rittenhouse is charged with shooting both victims.
21: We're doing you know, everything that we can to make sure that um, justice is served.
19: In the claims, the attorneys for Huber, who was allegedly shot and killed by Rittenhouse back in August, along with Kreutz, who was shot in the arm, say the city and county of Kenosha, the police chief, sheriff, and other unknown or former employees played a role in events leading up to both shootings.
21: We're basically looking to sue uh, different actors within the city of Kenosha, as well as the city of Kenosha itself, um, who we believe were negligent in their allowing of uh, you know, Mr. Rittenhouse to indiscriminately run around um, during a week of protests with a loaded weapon. The officer is giving, you know, water to different armed people that were down there, including um, offering it to um, the shooter.
19: But compensation aside, Motley says her and her client's ultimate goal is that Rittenhouse is held accountable for his actions.
21: The primary objective is that we believe that uh, Mr. Rittenhouse should be convicted um, for all the charges that he's facing.
19: We did reach out to the Kenosha County Board of Supervisors Legal Counsel for a statement, as well as the Kenosha County Sheriff and Police Chief, but we have yet to hear back. In Milwaukee, Taylor Lumpkin, TMJ4 News.
22: From imprisoned Nation.
8: COVID concerns are causing St. Louis prisoners to push back for the second time this week. And tonight we've confirmed those same worries could delay shutting down the controversial workhouse. News source Kim St. Ange is live at the City Justice Center downtown. She is following this story for us tonight. Kim.
13: Chris, this is exactly where those inmates were initially locked up. Like you said, the City Justice Center across from City Hall. A spokesperson for the mayor's office is telling us the inmates refused to go back into their cells. For the second time this week, that was over COVID concerns, forcing deputies to transfer over 100 of those inmates since Tuesday. Tear gas was used inside the city justice center Friday to defuse a situation after inmates refused to return to their cells over COVID concerns, according to Board of Aldermen President Louis Reed.
8: Ultimately, uh, what the detainees said was, hey, you know, you guys are housing us in very close quarters. Uh, with multiple uh, inmates per, uh, per sale. and um, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid of my my life.
13: Reed says inmates relented and deputies were able to transfer 45 inmates to MSI, better known as the workhouse. That comes on the heels of another 56 inmates who were transferred Tuesday over similar concerns. No one was injured in the process. Once
8: uh, it was agreed to do that so that they could be socially distanced and and not have to uh, worry about losing their lives to COVID, uh, they were, they were uh, you know, things de-escalated quite quickly. Quickly.
13: Reed back to plan to close the workhouse by the end of 2020, following complaints that included inmates finding rats and cockroaches, non-working AC in the summer, and a lack of medical care. But because of the pandemic requiring additional space to house inmates, Reed says it would be, quote, morally and ethically irresponsible to close the workhouse right now.
8: Advocates that still say to the detainees, well, We know what's best for you, the detainees are like, you're not in this cell with somebody that's COVID positive, I am.
13: Reed says it's best to get through the pandemic and then figure out the whole situation with the workhouse. Now about today's situation here at the City Justice Center, we also reached out to the mayor's office. A spokesperson for the mayor is telling us at this time they don't believe anyone here at CJC is positive for COVID. They're also telling us that there were no serious injuries to staff or inmates.
23: Today is the last day for Georgia voters to cast the ballots that will decide control of the Senate. NPR has reported that almost $500 million have been spent on ads in just the last two months in Georgia. On the Republican side, some of the money has gone into attacking Democratic candidate Raphael Warnock. He is a political candidate, of course, but is also a pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, which was the church of Martin Luther King. Jonathan Lee Walton, dean of the Wake Forest School of Divinity Studies, argues that many of the attack ads misconstrue the political tradition of black churches.
15: I mean, I think what many people find troubling is the rhetoric that is taking the sermons of Reverend Raphael Warnock and trying to frame him in some way as unpatriotic or un-American or the term that's constantly being used to describe him as quote-unquote radical. radical. Um, Just because of the fact that he's sermon and he comes from a sermonic tradition that is known for actually being a moral conscience of this. Nation. And so to equate any level of criticism of American society with a lack of love or disdain for American society is just a specious argument.
23: The first statement that comes to mind that I remember people focusing on after the general election, when it became clear that there was a runoff, was a video of Warnock saying, I believe in the pulpit, nobody can serve God and the military, which was taken as an anti-military statement. Was it?
15: Well, I read somewhere in the Bible something about one can't serve two masters. Right. so rather than being an anti-military statement, I think it could be read as an anti-militarism statement. And those are two very different things. I mean, it's one thing about where one places one's ultimate faith, power and trust. And so the sermon and the content of the sermon the Reverend Raphael Warnock was giving was about we put our trust in God, we put our trust in ideals of love and justice, not in by our military might or by power.
23: There's another quote that you focus on in which Warnock is quoted saying, open up the jails and let our children go. How is that quote being used and what do you think is being missed? (laughs)
15: <laughs> well, the larger quote for that was about unjust drug laws. I mean, we know that we, the war on drugs largely has become and became a a war on poor black and brown people. And this is something that's been acknowledged on both people on the political left and right. Uh, when you have unjust laws that make the difference between crack cocaine and powdered cocaine, right? Uh, five grams of crack cocaine versus 500 grams of powdered cocaine. You the same amount of time. And when we're thinking about how it's become profitable and even fashionable for some in big business to make great money off of marijuana distribution, while we have too many young people that are trapped in dungeons and jails right now uh, for having marijuana on them, that is the point that Raphael Warnock was speaking to.
23: So, what is the proper way to describe statements like that politically? Is he Offering a radical leftist point of view, which is what Republicans would say. Is it merely a liberal point of view? Is it actually a centrist point of view at that point? How would you describe Warnock's politics?
15: Well, one might call it a moral point of view. I mean, we have to remember that one can be political and amoral. But one can't make moral claims and not have political implications. And the moral claims that Raphael Warnock, from my understanding that he's making, that he represents this tradition that's grounded in a gospel reading of Matthew 25. As you did it to the least of these, Jesus says, you did it also to me. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you give me something to wear? When I didn't have a place to live, did you help me find a roof over my head? As you did it to the least of these. It's about keeping track of the most vulnerable in society. And so it's this kind of grand progressive tradition that uh, I believe that Raphael Warnock is standing on the shoulders of those like Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., like Reverend A.D. Williams, Martin Luther King Jr.'s grandfather, all of these towering progressive pastors that have been in this grand lineage of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta.
23: Do you find something unusual that African-American pastors would be criticized for this kind of sermon uh, by a party that very strongly supports the departing president of the United States who has often been critical of the United States himself and has said that the United States commits horrible violations like other countries and isn't actually that much different from other countries around the world.
15: Well, one does have to be mindful and be very cognizant of how critique often, um, it's often about who is the messenger. And it's interesting how when it comes to people of color, how it comes to women, when it comes to LGBTQ, uh, when it comes for people who are trying to expand notions, narrow notions of freedom and expand our conceptions of democracy, often somehow they're framed as enemies when they're certain on the conservative and they tend to be more white and they tend to be more male, they're heralded as patriots. I mean, so we can't ignore that reality here.
23: Are the political differences between uh, people of faith on the left and the right really just a question of emphasis, which parts of the Bible you read?
15: I think it could be about which parts of the Bible that you read and which parts of the Bible that you are most inclined to identify with. Uh, The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once said that certain privileges make liars of all men. And so for those of us who benefit from certain privileges and access to power in society, um, we're going to look for the places in the Bible that reinforce our sense of self. And often that can take the shape of finding texts and stories that will baptize our bigotry. And so that is the tradition where you had a theological tradition that could justify the enslavement of Africans. You could have theological tradition that can justify the segregation and exploitation of certain races. And so this is just a staple of religious traditions. I've heard one writer put it this way. You always know when you've made God in your own image because God hates all the same people that you do.
23: Jonathan Lee Walton is Dean of the Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
8: Hear these words. You will never be ignored again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. And your courage and goodness and love will forever guide us along the way. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America.
24: We begin this podcast in Capitol Hill in Washington, where today Mike Pence, who had been Donald Trump's most dutiful of supporters, formally confirmed that Joe Biden will be the U.S. president in 13 days.
4: The announcement of the state of the vote by the president of the Senate shall be deemed a sufficient declaration of the person's elected president and vice president of the United States, each for the term beginning on the 20th day of January 2021.
24: July the 4th, September the 11th, days that are etched into the American psyche. Now we can add January the 6th to that list, a day when an armed mob pushed, shoved, smashed and roared its way into the seat of American democracy in what even former US presidents are calling an insurrection. Elected legislators cowered under seats and tables while an unelected phalanx of white men brandishing emblems of hate ran amok in the Capitol building. The rioters had been urged, pushed, cajoled and exhorted by Donald Trump to prevent the official confirmation by the U.S. Congress that he had indeed lost the election and would indeed be shoved out of the White House.
8: Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down to the Capitol, and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong.
24: Not to be outdone by his dad, Donald Trump Jr. said that the takeover of the Republican Party by his family had been completed.
22: This isn't their Republican Party anymore. This is Donald Trump's Republican Party. This is the Republican Party that will put America first.
24: The fact that Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January the 20th comes in the teeth of objections from Republican senators and more than a hundred congressmen and women still in thrall to Donald Trump. The incoming president called the rioting an insurrection and demanded that the outgoing incumbent put a stop to the looting and pillage.
8: At this hour, our democracy is under unprecedented assault, unlike anything we've seen in modern times. An assault and the Citadel of Liberty, the Capitol itself. Therefore, I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege, to storm the Capitol, to smash windows. It's not protest. It's insurrection.
24: But dozens of Trump supporters by that stage had already converged on Congress and convulsed a country. It took three hours for Donald Trump to ask them to remain peaceful while appearing to assure them that they were doing the right thing. I know your pain. I know you're hurt.
8: We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. I know how you feel.
24: In the past few hours, Donald Trump has agreed to an orderly transition of power while at the same time justifying the actions of his violent supporters. On any other day, the news that the Democrats had won control of the U.S. Senate would be the lead story. Not today. In a moment, we'll be discussing what has happened. But first, an extraordinary report from Barbara Plett Usher, who spent an extraordinary day with Donald Trump and his followers.
25: I'm on Constitution Avenue on a very chilly day. There are a lot of people out here. Many of them are wearing caps and shirts that say, Make America Great Again. Almost no one is wearing a mask, though, Um, but a lot of them are waving Trump flags. What's your name?
22: My name is uh, William Wells, and I'm here to stand up for Donald Trump because this election was stolen from him and from the American people. We must stand together as one people. We must stand together.
25: There's no evidence of fraud, but they say yes, there is. The courts aren't listening to it, and the mainstream media isn't reporting it. I see uh, your sign says, give me liberty or give me death. Because yeah. this is the end of the United States if we don't demand our liberty. For Jerry Mentz, the election was the nail in the coffin. The alleged fraud confirmed her belief that the government, the courts, the system are against the people. And she's worried about left-wing Democrats they're leaning towards socialistic, communistic point of views. They no longer want the people to have a say. They want to control us. Live free or die, your sign also says. I got that. You don't think it's going to come to that, do you? To death? Yes, I do. What do you mean? Well, I think if the um, politicians don't wake up to see what the people want, I think the people are going to revolt. And I think everybody is packing guns. They're buying guns like crazy. Ammunition's not available. And they're going to stand up for their rights. And we're going to have another civil war. Violence was on its way. And there were hints of it before it started. From a young man dressed head to toe in camouflage, he called himself Rattlesnake.
26: We're not going to let him get away with it.
25: So how, how are you not going to let them get away with it? Because today Congress is going to certify that Joe Biden is president.
26: Uh, we'll see about that. Well, as far as uh, you know, no comment on how we're you know not let them get away with it, but we'll see about them certifying that. There's uh, uh we'll see about the end
27: of the day. We'll just leave it at that. Fight for
22: far. Trump! Fight for Trump! Fight
25: for Trump! Fight, Fight like hell, Donald Trump told his supporters in a rally at the White House. He said he'd never concede and urged them to march on the Capitol building where lawmakers were gathering to confirm Joe Biden's win. There was music and dancing along the way, but up ahead there was trouble. We Go 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 got news that protesters had stormed the Capitol and the building was in lockdown. We've pushed our way through now to the Capitol building, and we can see the Trump supporters who have taken over the front
16: of it waving flags.
10: Go! Go!
28: Keep going! Keep moving.
25: Keep moving. The feeling in the crowd itself is one of determination, uh, but also one of sort of triumph and excitement. They say, This Capitol building belongs to us. This is our building. Keep pushing forward. Capital. Our country.
8: Capital.
25: So what do you
29: think about what's going on?
6: I think it's great. We should have did it a long time ago. It's pretty exciting to be here trying to take our country back. I think we're making history.
25: Inside, there were historic but shocking scenes of chaos and disorder. The mob surged through the hallways. Lawmakers hid under tables. A woman was shot and killed. Capitol police officers injured.
8: I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace.
25: Finally, President Trump posted a video message on Twitter. One of the protesters outside broadcast it through a megaphone.
2: Trump is the top of the chain of command. He says, go home in peace. You go home in peace. You follow orders.
25: Security officers regained control as night fell and congress reconvened determined to certify the election results but shaken by the attack on america's democracy and alarmed at the country's violent divisions
24: barbara plett usher and for the latest from washington i spoke to our correspondent namia iqbal i began by asking her about the atrocious scenes yesterday
30: They were unprecedented and shocking. And the papers here this morning are very clear about who they blame for it. The Washington Post has referred to those protesters as rioters, as uh, Trump's mob. And uh, it was quite something to see people here scaling the building, forcing their way into Congress, into offices that belong to senators and representatives and smashing things up, smashing windows as well. But the reason why the papers are blaming Donald Trump and lots of his critics, and not just his critics, but members of his own Republican Party, is because yesterday was previewed by Donald Trump. He called it a day of reckoning. He had been talking about it even before Christmas, tweeting to his supporters to show up. In D.C., And this is all because he does not accept that he lost the election to Joe Biden. And he's still contesting it. He did release a statement saying that he is committed to an orderly transition of power. That's something that he's never said before. So it gives you a sense of the pressure he's under. But he also said that he does not accept he lost. But it doesn't matter because Congress in the early hours of this morning confirmed that Joe Biden will be the next president of the U.S.
24: I see that the FBI, no less, has put out a call looking for help identifying individuals caught on camera within the Capitol building. And a lot of people are wondering how it came to be that dozens, if not hundreds of people, crashed their way into such an important building.
30: That's right. There will be major questions asked about this huge security lapse, because it's not easy to get into the Capitol Hill. I mean, we have press passes for example to get us in and it's a huge security operation there's a lot of money that's been spent on security here but I can tell you this morning security is incredibly tight as you can imagine I'm just looking at a line of police cars all around me that are protecting the building I should also say that even though it was so chaotic yesterday today it is relatively calm there are a few Donald Trump supporters who are wandering the streets. There was a car full of supporters that drove past us and shouted abuse at us. But people are going about their normal business. There are people jogging and riding their bikes as well. But what happened yesterday is something that's got everybody talking. And I think there's a real sense that, is this the red line? Is this the red line for certainly the Republican Party? We're seeing a lot of people who are usually very loyal to Donald Trump Turning against him. Yeah, and
24: one of those people is Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, soon to be the Senate minority leader. He stood shoulder to shoulder with Donald Trump for the vast majority of his presidency, but appeared to change his mind and his stance after the riots in Congress.
28: The United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. We will not bow to lawlessness or intimidation. We are back at our posts. We will discharge our duty under the Constitution and for our nation.
24: Now that's Mitch McConnell, his voice appearing to catch there as he said those words. But it does beg the question, what is now going to happen to his party, the GOP, the Republican Party, which appears to now be fully in thrall to Donald Trump?
22: That's
30: right. The Republicans lost a very crucial Senate runoff in Georgia. And I was in Georgia yesterday to see the two Republican candidates lose to the two Democratic candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And that has given Joe Biden the balance of power now to get things done. And I think that victory for him... It really does underline Donald Trump's defeat and a final rebuke of the Republican Party. There's going to be a lot of questions asked by the Republicans over how they lost those Senate seats, how it came to this. And as I mentioned before, lots of senators are now turning against Donald Trump after what happened yesterday.
24: Namia Iqbal in Washington. The two previous American presidents have condemned the violent actions of Trump supporters, Barack Obama called the violence a moment of great dishonor and shame for our nation. And George W. Bush, a former Republican president, did not mince his words either, saying this is how election results are disputed in a banana republic, not our democratic republic. But what have international leaders made of what we've seen? Our reporter Richard Hamilton has been looking at the mostly shocked reactions from around the world.
31: Here in Britain, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson called the events a disgrace, The Irish Foreign Minister Simon Coveney called the scenes a deliberate assault on democracy by a sitting president and his supporters. And in Germany, the Chancellor Angela Merkel was unusually blunt.
3: The
5: images left me furious and sad. A basic rule of democracy is that there are winners and losers after elections. Both have to fulfil their roles with decency and responsibility so that democracy itself remains victorious. I deeply regret that President Trump has not accepted his defeat since November and again did not do so yesterday. Doubts over the election outcome have been stoked, and that created an atmosphere which made last night's events possible.
31: And the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, she said on Twitter, democracy, the right of people to exercise a vote, have their voice heard and have that decision upheld peacefully should never be undone by a mob. The Nigerian Pilot newspaper referred to a remark by Donald Trump in which he described the US election previously as worse than third world countries. And it quotes the former Nigerian president, Goodluck Jonathan, who warned I have repeatedly said nobody's political ambition is worth the blood of any citizen in any part of the world. Among those countries that are not traditionally allies of the United States, there's of course been nothing from North Korea, but in Iran, the President Hassan Rouhani appeared to be enjoying what he saw.
27: What we saw in the United States shows above all how fragile and vulnerable Western democracy
31: is. Its foundations are not solid. And China drew a comparison between the storming of the U.S. Capitol and last year's often violent pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong.
32: You know, first ladies usually have a cause. And you've already said you're interested in speaking out against bullying on social media.
17: I think it's very important because a lot of uh, children and teenagers are getting hurt. And we need to teach them how to talk to each other, how to treat each other. And uh, to to be able to connect with each other on the right way.
32: It's an ironic choice, since her own husband sent out a stream of pretty nasty tweets during the campaign.
25: Facebook said today it will continue to block President Trump's account to ensure a peaceful transition. The platform will not let Trump post again until he leaves office and possibly longer. That's the biggest and latest move from social media companies after the riot that took over the U.S. Capitol. NPR's Bobby Allen has been covering the story. And, Bobby, I just want to start with the uh, rationale from Facebook, which uh, we're going to note here, of course, that they are a financial supporter of NPR.
21: NPR.
2: Yeah. So Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg in a public post said that he believes in politicians having the freedom to speak on Facebook, even when it's controversial. But Trump's rhetoric is now creating real world violence. And he pointed, of course, to the mob storming the U.S. Capitol yesterday and said, quote, we believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. And so Trump will be banned on Facebook, at least until president-elect Joe Biden is sworn in. Now, people like Emerson Brooking have been studying how trump has been using facebook for years brooking is at the think tank atlantic council and here is his take it's incredible that it took an attempted insurrection for facebook to take this seriously the rhetoric that trump has been spreading and the way he's used his platform especially these last few crucial months considering that the president is a public figure is the head of state can facebook do this yeah, in short, yes. So by law, Facebook actually has all the power in deciding what's on the site, whether it's, you know, your grandma posting something or President Trump. Um, that said, Facebook and Twitter are basically modern day public squares. You know, free speech, at least the spirit of free speech really flourishes on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and here Facebook is censoring Trump. But Zuckerberg says on balance, trying to limit additional mayhem across the country is more important than giving Trump a platform. For a time, Twitter seemed to
25: be the president's preferred method to get his message across. What's that company doing?
2: Yeah. So yesterday, Twitter forced Trump to take down three posts that were glorifying violence and peddling false election claims. Twitter also locked Trump's account. And this, Adi, is a huge moment. I mean, in the months leading up to the election, Twitter placed dozens of these warning labels on his tweets and critics said that wasn't enough. Twitter is finally now bringing down the hammer. Trump is expected to get his Twitter account back. But if he keeps abusing the rules, Twitter says Trump will be banned forever. What are the other options for the president in terms of
25: places online to reach his supporters?
2: Yeah, there are smaller platforms like Gab and Parler where speech of any kind just runs wild without any policing. And Trump may make a big push there. Um, Brooking from the Atlantic Council says Trump being banned on Facebook doesn't mean conspiracy theories are just going to vanish from the Internet. But it is going to demonstrably reduce the spread of dis and misinformation. Because Trump has been that critical link which sees these theories go from being uh, localized to mainstreamed. Yeah. So what Brookings is saying is when he and other researchers really trace exactly how conspiracy theories about the coronavirus or about the election go viral, the digital trail, Adi, often leads directly to Trump's own Facebook and Twitter accounts. So a ban on Facebook will have a big effect. And if he's banned on Twitter, too, that's going to have major consequences. That's NPR tech reporter Bobby Allen. Thank you. Thanks, Adi.
33: All right, we are continuing our coverage of the armed insurrection of a pro-Trump mob that forced its way into the U.S. Capitol. President Trump has issued a statement from the White House in an apparent attempt to defuse the situation. In a video he posted to Twitter, he told protesters to go home and go home in peace, but not before repeating the false claim that the election was stolen and expressing some kinship with the pro-Trump protesters. He said, quote, we love you, you're very special, and quote, I know how you feel. And peer Media correspondent David Fulkenflick has seen this video and joins us now with more Hey David. Hey Elsa. So this is not the first time that President Trump has offered mixed messages to his supporters, right?
1: well it takes me back to charlottesville as i'm sure it does many people where he mm-hmm. after uh, you know the terrible protest there violence there woman was killed uh, there uh, he said well you know there are good people on both sides but i'm against violence well that's not really a fair account of what happened and what he's saying now the idea that uh, we love you you're very special but go home you know That's not really all that mixed a message. It's, it's basically trying to fuse it as a tactic, but saying essentially he supports their cause because their cause is him. And I might add in the last hour he tweeted again, he said, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who've been badly and unfairly treated for so long, go home with love and in peace. That's not really disassociating himself from almost right. anything. He's just saying, stand down. All right. And of course, all of this
33: was posted to Twitter, which has issued fact check labels and warning labels on disputed content, including content from the president himself. Tell us, how did Twitter as a platform today react to this video statement?
1: But what it did was it put up two kinds of warnings. It says, listen, the claims uh, contained in here are disputed, basically saying this stuff probably isn't true. And it also cordoned it off. It said this tweet can't be replied to, retweeted or liked due to, and this is an incredibly telling phrase, a risk of violence. So it says this is uh, incendiary. This is inflammatory. We don't want to amplify it, but we're also not shutting him down. Uh, So that's how they dealt with that.
33: Now, this... Footage of all the violence, all the chaos that has been erupting today throughout well the Capitol and in parts of Washington DC. It has been on NPR, it has been on other news broadcasters, it's been online. How have news media organizations in general put all of today's events into context? Give us sort of a survey.
1: I think you've seen people uh, describe it for what it is, but also scramble. You can almost hear and watch them try to figure out what the right words are to describe this. You know, 22 and a half years ago, along with our, our just departed colleague David Green, I covered a day where a gunman, a crazed gunman, got into the U.S. Capitol and killed two people. This was much worse, and this was an assault on a building and property on on people. Uh, a woman, according to the Associated Press and other news. Uh, Uh, outlets has died. uh, And on the pillars of democracy, this branch of government that was trying to affirm a vote. And they called it at times an insurrection. They called it a riot. They called it an attempted coup. And and as we heard from Senator Romney, uh, an insurrection led by the president himself.
33: And really quick, you know, many people have called Twitter's warning labels as not doing enough in the past. What is the reaction been to Twitter's labeling decisions today?
1: Well, Twitter has uh, basically cordoned it off but not prevented people from sharing it. You know, Facebook, which is a supporter of NPR, I should note, and YouTube, which is owned by Google, another supporter financially of NPR. Those uh, outlets essentially said we're taking this stuff down. It's too much. Donald Trump still has a home on Twitter, much as they try to cordon off what he says is unreliable and incendiary.
33: That is NPR media correspondent David Folk Flick. Thank you, David.
15: You bet. It's
6: a mess of irony for all the world to see. Capital, it's Washington DC. It's the nation's, it's the nation's, it's the nation's
5: it's Washington, D.C.
32: And we step back now to reflect a little more on this remarkable moment with Mary McCord. She was acting Assistant Attorney General for National Security at the Department of Justice. She now teaches at Georgetown Law School. Mary McCord, we appreciate your being with us again. I know you've just been listening to Amna talk about the makeup of the people who showed up in Washington today, who showed up at the Capitol. You're somebody who has studied some of these extremist groups, um, including white supremacists and others. What do you make of who these people are, what motivated them to come to do what they were doing today?
5: Well, it's not surprising to see these groups showing up. This is something that we have seen in the making for some time now. And we have a combination of extremists, far-right extremists, including conspiracy theorists, those who buy into uh, debunked false claims of everything from election fraud to QAnon theories about various elected officials, Democrats and and Republican. Uh, But we also have... um, unlawful uh, criminal street gangs and militias from different states. Now, D.C., of course, is not an open carry uh, um uh, it's jurisdiction and, in fact, doesn't even allow concealed carry unless you have a concealed carry permit from D.C. They don't recognize permits from other jurisdictions. But that doesn't mean that people haven't been concealing weapons on their person under their coats, etc. And these are far right, uh, unlawful private militias who are big Trump supporters. I think we also have probably seen some, some more mainstream Republicans who, who legitimately are concerned that there might have been some fraud. In the election, but they are, you know, in with these much more extreme uh, individuals who I think are contributing to a real radicalization and the type of violence and rebellion that we saw today at the Capitol.
32: Well, from the work that you've done, when when the group got to the point today where they went to the Capitol and they weren't simply content to protest outside the Capitol, they breached the perimeters, they got to the doors, they started breaking windows breaking through the doors, going inside, ransacking or walking through, basically taking over the building. What is what kind of leadership does it take for something like that to happen? Is it spontaneous or is it something that you think was
5: probably uh, worked out and planned ahead of time? So I've been watching this develop for months now, even even before the election, as the president was even prior to the election, suggesting that mail-in ballots were susceptible to fraud and that we weren't going to be able to trust the results of the election. And, of course, he's doubled down on that post-election. And this is red meat for these groups. The online activity of the far-right extremist movement um, is extremely... uh, prolific and it is in some cases encouraging violence in other cases encouraging overthrow of the government and whatever they needed to do to to do what they consider stopping the steal the president has been egging it on it every term not only has he himself promoted conspiracy theories and false claims of election fraud that have been debunked through at in every single court and of course we're you know sec- Secretary of State Raffensperger in the call on Saturday you know, tried to push back point by point about the falsity of those claims. And he and the president at the same time as giving this red meat to the base, giving this red meat to the most extremist elements uh, of his supporters has also refused, not only refused to denounce civil unrest, but encouraged it. And we saw that coming through the weekend as he was encouraging people to come today, but we saw it even more so this morning and this evening when he, you know, was encouraging that, that march on the Capitol and in, and this evening, while he was telling people to go home at the same time, he was saying, um, "I know your pain. The election was stolen We won in, I won in a right. landslide it was stolen you can 't tell people to go home and be peaceful while you 're telling them the election has been stolen so the leader there 's been no leadership and I, and I want to say also." I put this on the hands of the president, but he has been enabled by those in the White House and those in Congress who refused to stand up to him. And right after the election, you ro- might remember that some of them said, we're humoring him. Well, the time for humor has long right. passed. And in this this violence, this woman killed, the other people who will be injured, this is on their hands.
32: And now the question a lot of us have is, Will the death of this woman and will the pleas from so many people, including prominent Republicans and supporters of the president, that this stand down, that this stop, will that have any effect uh, on these people? We will certainly be watching uh, to see. Mary McCord, thank you very much.
7: All right, we're going to turn now to Kathleen Ballou. She's assistant professor of history at the University of Chicago. She is author of Bring the War Home, the White Power Movement and Paramilitary America. As you may have guessed, she studies paramilitary and white power groups. Professor Ballou, welcome.
34: Thank you for having me.
7: Uh, What were you focused on as you watched the mob storming
34: the Capitol today? You know, it's an interesting moment because I think what we're seeing is the kinds of groups and activists that I study are one part of a broader groundswell of people who who became insurrectionists today, if they were not already insurrectionists before the events of today. I think that we're looking at a broad array of people that include QAnon believers and conspiracy theorists, um, some parts of, of Trump's most devoted base, and then some activists who have been organizing quite opportunistically towards the overthrow of the United States and its democratic institutions for decades. Um, we've seen these people on the march before in recent months um, in attacks on other state houses, and in marches that have occupied state houses in Michigan, for instance, and um, in targeted attacks on other elected officials like the governor of Michigan.
7: Yeah. I, I was gonna I was just gonna ask um, how do you know what groups these are were you, were you seeing identifying language or symbols are you following social media chatter what, what is indicating to you which groups may have been involved
34: So all of that and I should clarify I'm a historian so I'm not the expert on um, symbology and identification of particular groups and activists today but okay. um, what I'm doing in in an event like this one is listening to the many watchdogs activists FBI and DHS representatives, and other experts who are are um, conversant in the symbols of the day, um, and a lot of it is sort of just plain to see for anyone who's looking. So today, there were photographs of Proud Boys members flashing white power hand signs. There were Confederate flags in the halls of Congress by, held by occupiers. Um, we saw Pepe the Frog. We saw a number of other um, memes and people who are familiar to us from other recent white power activity.
7: Um. I want to ask about language and the terms that we should use when describing events today. Um, I know that you have been tweeting today and using terms like sedition, insurrection, and terrorism. And it's that last one I want to ask you about. Uh, We are getting tweeted at by people. I'm looking at my Twitter account, and they're saying, don't just call them rioters. These people are terrorists. Um, In your view, what are they? What,
34: What should we call it? So I, I suppose I should begin by clarifying that there are legal meanings of each of those words that are distinct from our conversational use of those words. But I think it's reasonable to understand this as an act of domestic terror. It is a, a violent action. People were hurt and killed today um, in an act that was meant to defray an election and to intimidate political opponents for political reasons. Um, It was exceedingly ideologically motivated, and it has a body count, um, the extent of which we don't yet know as we tally up the deaths and injuries from today. I suppose now it's one death, but, um, you know, we we haven't gotten to the end of the day, and the streets are not yet cleared in D.C., so um, I I think it's too early to know. Um, I would say, too, that when we're thinking about it, I think it's also best understood as an act of insurrection. Um, and by that, I don't mean a legal definition so much as um, a conversational one. But what I what I want to get at there is that this was an action that was deliberately meant to circumvent our our political system. This was a coup. This was not a bloodless coup. This was an attack on our democracy and its institutions. Um, and it was organized. It was ideological, and it was carried out in the light of day.
7: That is Kathleen Ballou, uh, Assistant Professor of History at the University of Chicago and the author of Bring the War Home, the White Power Movement and Paramilitary America. Professor Ballou, thanks for sharing your expertise with us. We're going to turn now to another Secret Service incident that raises disturbing questions. On October 3rd, 2013... An unarmed African-American mother named Miriam Carey drove to Washington, D.C. from Connecticut with her infant daughter in the backseat. A U-turn at a checkpoint followed by a car chase led to Secret Service agents and Capitol Police firing 26 bullets at her car, eventually killing her.
32: As Lisa mentioned earlier, there are serious questions today about the security in and around the Capitol and why there wasn't better preparation and plans made ahead of time. William Brangham examines how the law met disorder.
8: We're going to the Capitol.
12: Just moments after the president's speech, thousands of his supporters were on the move down Pennsylvania Avenue. At around 1 p.m., the mob forced its way through barricades in front of the Capitol and passed a line of Capitol police officers. There were scuffles, but social media video appeared to show officers opening the fencing in at least one location. The rioters then pushed up the steps on both sides of the Capitol building, banging on doors and breaking windows. At around 2 p.m., the Capitol had been breached.
0: This is our country, this is our house.
12: Outnumbered members of the Capitol Police Force were unable to contain them. In one stairwell, a single officer was left to try and fend off an oncoming crowd. But elsewhere, streaming footage showed an officer seemingly taking a selfie with a rioter. Then, with many lawmakers evacuated, the group roamed freely through the historic halls of Congress. The Rotunda, Statuary Hall, the Senate Chamber. Photographers captured an intruder sitting at the desk of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The storming of the Capitol turned deadly when a Capitol police officer shot a woman who was allegedly trying to enter the House chambers, where some U.S. representatives were still sheltering. Eventually, the rioters began filing out of the Capitol building, some walking past a man who appears to be a police officer who didn't arrest or even stop them. By about 6 p.m., officials declared the Capitol complex secure. This incident has raised sharp questions from both sides of the aisle about what went wrong. How is it that the 2,000-member Capitol Police Force allowed such a dangerous breach at the heart of the federal government? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called for a painstaking investigation and said yesterday represented a massive failure of institutions, protocols, and planning that are supposed to protect the first branch of our federal government. Representative Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio, chairs the subcommittee that funds and oversees the Capitol Police.
1: I think it's pretty clear uh, that that there's going to be a number of people uh, who are going to be without employment very, very soon. Uh, because this is this is uh, an embarrassment, both on behalf of the uh, the mob and the president and the insurrection and the attempted coup, but also the the lack of uh, professional planning and uh, dealing with what we knew was going to occur.
12: A former chief of the Capitol Police, Terrence Gaynor, spoke to NBC's Today Show. Clearly there's
8: failures. There has to be a lot of questions asked and answers given. What is very clear is the police underestimated the violent crowd and the
12: size of it, and they overestimated their ability to control it. But in a statement, the current Capitol Police chief, Stephen Sund, defended his, quote, heroic officers... 15 of whom were hospitalized with injuries, one critically. He said the attack was unlike anything he's experienced, and that the department is conducting a thorough review of this incident, security planning and policies, and procedures. The widespread criticism also centered on the treatment of this crowd, which was almost all white, compared to the tactics used by police forces elsewhere on black and brown protesters. Many pointed to the violent law enforcement crackdowns on racial justice protesters this summer in Washington, D.C. and around the country. The Associated Press reported more than 10,000 people were arrested in protests between the end of May and the start of June alone. Newly elected Missouri Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush was a leader of the 2014 protests over the police killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson.
11: Had we as black people... Did the same things that happened today with the police? Have we fought with fist police officers the The reaction would have been different. We would have been laid out on the ground there would have been there would have been shootings there would have been people in jail. there would have been people beat with batons and I know because i 've been there
12: A senior law enforcement official rejected the accusation that racial bias played any role in what happened yesterday. This official told the News Hour that the Capitol Police were clearly surprised by the size and the violence of the mob that broke into the Capitol, and that they simply didn't have enough manpower or reinforcements. This official also said that they couldn't make mass arrests yesterday because they were so outnumbered, but they did promise that more arrests would be coming. And today, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. said they've filed 40 cases, mostly for unlawful entry, but some assault and weapons charges, and said those were just the beginning. The DOJ also confirmed that two explosive devices had been found and neutralized near the Capitol yesterday. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm William Brangham.
3: This question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times article, I mean, editorial today. The Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink under, under Trump. On the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, editorial twelve ten, two zero one five. 2015 I say fascism is end-stage white supremacy. See, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy determined to survive.
21: Good afternoon and thanks for choosing Cardio News Channel 13 at 5 o'clock. I'm Heather Skoll. And
22: I'm Bart Bedsoul. Our top story at 5 o'clock just revealed court documents alleging and detailing threats of another bombing in Nashville. This time from a Pueblo West man who is behind bars tonight. 48-year-old Eddie Lovins reportedly promised to harm law enforcement if they tried to stop him.
21: He was arrested after allegedly shooting and nearly killing multiple deputies in Pueblo County on New Year's Day. Cardio News Channel 13's Dan Beatty joins us outside that home where the shooting went down. Dan.
22: Heather, Barr, just before the shooting on New Year's Day, Eddie Lovins contacted Tennessee Highway Patrol warning of a bomb inside of the Tennessee State Capitol building in Nashville and that if authorities showed up to his home here in Pueblo West, he would be obligated to shoot at them. According to communication logs between Eddie Lovins and the Tennessee Highway Patrol, the Pueblo West residents said there was going to be another bombing in Nashville. Referencing the Nashville RV bombing on Christmas Day, this time at the Tennessee State Capitol building. Lovins went on to say, it's definitely going to happen today, no if. He also stated he is not law enforcement friendly. Authorities in Tennessee contacted the Pueblo County Sheriff's Office about the grim warnings. When authorities arrived at Lovins' home on the 1,000 block of Tenderfoot Lane around 3.15 p.m., gunshots rang out, injuring two officers. In the court documents, Lovin said he shot through the door of his home with his AR and that he had no specific target, but new deputies were outside. He wasn't just shooting at my deputies on that one instance. He continued to constantly uh, fire rounds out of his home. After allegedly firing at law enforcement, deputies saw Lovins walk outside of his home into the streets, armed only with a bottle of whiskey. Fire one round of non-lethal. We're able to neutralize the suspect, and he is in our custody. We were able to confront the individual. He did not pose a significant deadly threat to any of our officers at that time. After the arrest, Lovins told investigators there were soap bombs in his garage. But bomb squads didn't find any trace of explosive devices inside the home. Meanwhile, at the Tennessee State Capitol, authorities discovered a suspicious device, but it was unrelated to the case. Eddie Lovins currently faces two counts of attempted murder and two counts of attempted assault. He's currently sitting in the Pueblo County Jail on $500,000 bond. His next court appearance is set for January 7th. Reporting live in Pueblo West, Dan B D K R D O News Channel 13. I'm
35: having to take a few seconds to gather myself. Um... <laughs> I was not prepared for Eddie Lovins. I'm gonna have to. I'll explain why I'm having to take a few seconds to gather myself. Okay, this is what happened, and then we'll introduce things proper. Uh, that last segment, I was not going to play. Right? There were so many things that happened this week. Right? I didn't even talk about the Senate race in Georgia. There are already always so many things that happen in the world I say consistently for the compensatory call in this is just you know a little bit just a few of the things that happen related to racism white supremacy we'll try to talk about other things also but just a little bit the segment with Eddie Lovins didn't plan on playing it. We had been talking about the bombing in Nashville. In fact, we had cows listeners who said, Hey, I didn't even hear a whole lot of information about the bombing in Nashville. I thought that was important. How do you have a white person at another act of terrorism on so-called Christmas day, no less Uh, injuries and all this major damage and damage to major AT&T center and everything. And how is that not major news? We had some people who said they felt like it wasn't even being covered adequately. So I see this. I'm like, oh, it's related to the Nashville bombing. Hmm. Threatening another one. Yeah, there's so much white terrorism this week. Maybe we'll play it. Maybe we won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally just decided to go ahead and. eh, why not? We'll we'll add it in because people had said they didn't really talk a whole lot about the Nashville bombing. This is related. We'll go ahead and include it. I, I've said before. Sometimes I'll include clips. I won't really listen to them all the way. That way, I can be surprised. I can hear it for the first time with you all. So I just heard about Eddie Loven's for the first time with you all. Now, in a week where all of this white terrorism happened, when you heard you heard in the clip, right? They said terrorism. This isn't Gus T using his old words. And I'm gonna switch the vernacular. No, no. terrorism. Widely worldwide condemnation of white terrorism this week. Did you all hear about Eddie Lovins? Was that added to since we just had a bombing in Nashville on white Jesus' birthday, no less. And then with all the mayhem in the nation's capital, how would we miss Eddie Lovins, a white man who threatens enforcement officers, fires at enforcement officers, bombs all of that, and he's taken into custody. They have unarmed black people where they accidentally, put that in quotes, end up bursting into their residence and they don't get them in custody alive. This fella had explosives fired at police officers and old Eddie Levins is in custody. Doesn't even look like they used a nigger knocker on him. Did you all hear about Eddie Levins this week? I know Tennessee is not like the the center of the universe metaphor. I know that's not like a New York City or a Los Angeles an area that's going to command a lot of media attention I know Nashville is not that but wow on this week don't you think that's something that what a list of white domestic terrorism in just five days just in the last what two three weeks if you want to go back and make sure we get the bombing aspect but Eddie Lovins intro proper context of white supremacy gusty renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy eddie lovin's today's date saturday january 9 2021 so i have been told this is our weekly compensatory calling dial in if you have thoughts observations suggestions if you knew about eddie lovin's hey you can dial in and let us know especially if we have any folks in tennessee like you you gotta tell me that you knew about eddie lovin's knew all about this fella uh we do not miss reading local news to make sure we don't miss a white terrorist white rapist whatever it is we are informed about things that happen locally so if we got tennessee listeners you knew about eddie lovin's Number to dial 720-716-7300. The code 564 pounds Press star 61 if you would like to participate. We had Miss TN. we had lots of, I'm saying it as though I'm, I'm guessing Miss TN was right there with us uh, for the retreat in VA. Yes, absolutely. We have listeners in TN, so you all knew about Eddie Levin's number again 720 716 7300 the code 564943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate isn't what they they normally say what's that tired line like they get uh they'll get a itchy finger isn't that the metaphor like they'll say oh man the Negroes have been unruly. They've been upset about Rodney King or Trayvon Martin or whoever died most recently. They're upset and they've been shooting back at the police Remember when Micah Xavier Johnson, 2016, when uh, he was alleged accused of shooting those officers in Dallas, it's, Ooh, they got itchy fingers. You know, they might respond. Police might respond a little more aggressively, you know, cause they are fearful, intimidated, that type of a thing. Why wouldn't that be the case in Nashville? You've just had all of the terrorism in D.C. And then you're right at the epicenter. You just had the bombing. Days ago, they just they got areas that just like a few hours like this week just opened back up to pedestrians. So why wouldn't it be? Oh, my goodness hyper vigilant and you know all the rest of it and i mean you talk about a time where oh yeah we shot this fellow 195 times like he had fired at us and a bomb and I, oh no man itchy trigger finger and you know apologies to everyone else we might have even shot a squirrel by accident and all this but oh yeah we put 150 rounds and nope they got old eddie lovin's Where they say made sure we we got old Eddie Levens with a non lethal round. Oh, Eddie Levens. Let's see. Uh, We will be here continuing with our coverage. In very short order, the Cow's coverage of the OJ Simpson 1995 criminal trial is becoming like signature. Cow's work, which is amazing because this is a case that I did not follow at all and only began researching because of Jeffrey Tubin masturbating on Zoom. <laughs> like, that is no, like to tell the total truth, this was not a crusade and I think the juice is innocent and I, nope, I thought he was guilty, my entire life, and embarrassingly thought he was guilty without having Ever picked up or evaluated one piece of evidence? At any rate, uh, from very humble beginnings, old Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, what we will have? Uh, so we'll have the book club. We'll have session number eight this Thursday, normal time, eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific. Whew. We are starting the trial. Like for all the folks, if you have tuned into the book club, if you've just heard us yammering about it or whatever, like everything, uh, how do they say? Everything pales in comparison. Now all of the goodies begin everything that you could possibly want in terms of entertainment and serious counter-racist study is the OJ Simpson Criminal Trial. Uh, It is stunning. I am so, so excited. Uh, There's racial showcasing. In fact, that's what we're up for immediately this Thursday. Racial showcasing. And not even disputed everybody, white people, non-white everybody. How in the world are you going to go grab some black guy and put him on the prosecution to prosecute O.J. Simpson just because you got a bunch of black jurors? What in the world? You didn't even have any black prosecutors. Now you're going to go grab Christopher Darden and say, "Yeah, we add a little add a little flavor to our team." You got racial showcasing, more cowbells than you could stick in a pasture. In fact repeatedly a black male will come to the witness stand or be accused of being feverish throughout the trial. OJ Simpson and Johnny Cochran. It is amazing. Uh, the N word F Lee Bailey versus Mark Furman. We just had F Lee Bailey on the program. The race card still trying. Maybe by the time we get to the end of the book, we will have figured out is this the first time the phrase the race card was used metaphor is it the first time are the origins the OJ Simpson criminal trial or was it used before then domestic violence first time last time it's every almost every component of white supremacy racism that you can think of the OJ Simpson criminal trial 1995 we are starting the trial in the book club this week if it doesn't fit, you must quit. Amazing. Uh, And one thing that I only recently thought of as we've been going through the book and the trial and everything, people who talk about ways of talking to family members about racism, white supremacy, the OJ Simpson trial might be a really good one. And uh, both for older generations and younger generations, if you have parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever it is, uh, if you have friends or just people that you care about who are a little bit older uh, they were probably here when the o j Simpson trial happened and in fact uh if they you know I'd say if they're over if they're over sixty. Maybe even a little younger than that, but definitely if they're over 60, they were like old enough that they might have been paying attention. Like you might stumble on somebody who, oh yeah, I watched it every day, (laughs) took notes and and all of the like, you could have amazing conversations with them about racism, white supremacy, just from the OJ Simpson trial. I am sure, and especially if they know details or if you know details where you can, you know, really ask uh, about things. Did you think it was, or you can switch the terms up, but I mean, racial showcasing. What did you think about Chris Darden being added to the team? And just see what they say. Just ask, were you surprised at how supportive the black female jurors were of OJ Simpson? And just see what the amazing conversations talk to you. And I said, both generations, if you have younger generations where they weren't born yet, right when the trial happened in 95 great because their exposure to OJ Simpson in that case will be exclusively pop culture. So it'll be like, uh, South park, uh, uh, the Chewbacca defense, that type of thing. And, uh, the FX series and the ESPN documentary, all of which he is guilty, a savage. And that no count Johnny Cochran is, you know, Satan race card. Uh, so, It'll be fascinating. It'll be a, give you an opportunity to you can ask them questions. What do you think about this case? Do you know any details about the case? Uh, what is that your whole understanding of this? The Chewbacca defense, the race car, the FX? Is that your whole understanding of, you know, O.J. Simpson and whether or not he did this? It's a you could even make it a book study. You could pick a book and read about it. Or you could watch some of these projects together, although I will say the FX series it's just the more you know about the case the worse it is white supremacy propaganda anyway the book club Thursday and Pat McKenna who is mentioned in the book club white man he is the uh, investigator or one of the investigators for the defense in the case Uh, he worked for uh, F. Lee Bailey Uh, He'll be with us on Tuesday of this week, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, He is the person who found the Furman tapes. So we'll be able to ask about that process and how he came to get involved in the case to begin with. I think he has admitted that he thought O.J. Simpson was guilty. When he was first hired, it took a while for him to do some digging and investigating to change his mind. I think he changed his mind about things, but at least if uh, I have my information correct, he too thought OJ did it until we'll ask about that process. Fascinating. Take advantage. And again, you can share if you have older non-white people and, you know, if they are interested in maybe learning about counter-racism or particularly if they think OJ did it, maybe listen to the program with Pat McKenna. See what they say. I'm so excited to hear about the uh, dialogue and how they got Laura Hart McKinney to come and bring the tapes that exposed Mark Furman. Police officer committing perjury is so much in the Simpson trial. But yeah, Pat McKenna should be with us on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Miriam I Carey. get her name in before we proceed uh let's see next uh the everything about what took place uh in washington d c the white terrorism insurrection if they want to use that term I'm fine with that also uh they call myself many other non white people uh Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela, uh, any any non-white person, really, uh, who is talking about racism, white supremacy in a manner that is not acceptable to whites. Can be labeled a militant, a radical. Uh, you heard that when they had <clears> the <throat> segment where they were talking about uh, the victorious black senator uh in Georgia, uh and saying that he's uh called some sort of a a radical uh because of the way that they were taking some of his sermons uh out of context. Uh that's why I've said and I've said for years, if you're gonna call myself any non white person uh a so-called radical, it's Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock, make sure I get his name in, you're going to call Senator Elect Warnock, myself any other victim of white supremacy a radical a militant what do you call the individuals who terrorized and stormed the Capitol building and I mean, even compare. Now, these are folks who are committing violence. You've got deaths, property destruction, all the rest of it. What do you call them if I am going to be called a radical, a militant for saying wild things like sobriety would be best? Goofy things like that. I mean, eh, we're in a system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, Let's see. What other militant things am I known for? Saying No name calling. Uh, Let's see. Referring to myself as a victim of white supremacy. Radical things like that. Uh, I'm a militant. Any other non-white person who talks about racism. What are we calling the folks who... Stormed our nation's capital this week, incidentally, I am not uh, of the opinion like this is uh it's historic I mean it happened, and generally presidential transitions are not this disputed this uh combustible, but I do remember two thousand uh <laughs> i do George Bush the audacity to open his mouth and talk about a banana republic. I think that word, that metaphor was used in fact in 2000. Now, it didn't get that bad, but ooh wee, it was really nasty back in 2000. Folks were talking about memories. Is my memory bad? Am I making that up? Uh, it wasn't violence absolutely. It wasn't violence. I don't remember anyone dying, but ooh wee, it was rather contentious. Some of the same allegations that an election has been stolen. In fact, a presidential election has been stolen. It was not exactly a tidy transition. In fact, I remember, so we were talking 20 years ago. Cows didn't exist, but I do remember it was so contested that Bush couldn't even waltz into the White House for the inauguration he was pelted with eggs because so many people felt it was it was a stolen election so no I don't really want to hear that white people have I think Mr. Scotty Reed Black Talk Radio Network I think white people have a history of rioting over soccer games like far lesser things they will go and stomp and act a fool so man yes they hooted rioted bloodshed i'm not surprised they'll probably do lots more of that eddie lovin's they didn't even they didn't even report oh eddie lovin's man i mean white people do what they do on a daily basis worldwide more to come if anything this would only reinforce let's see what are the other militant things i'm known for saying uh man when you go out in public these are the type of folks that you should be thinking like, wow, is this the person that's yelling at the grocery store? Like, "Ooh, is this the person that's yelling at the parking lot? Like, man, I don't know if it's worth it to have some sort of confrontation unless I've already concluded. Psh, I am totally except I'm all right with dying right now. I think we talked about this counter war, counter violence with Mr. Fuller. Hey, if you deem it is worth me sacrificing my life right now over this confrontation, no problem. You can make that decision. Victims guaranteed qualified. But I don't think most of us, you leave the house to go to get a can of chickpeas. I don't think bumping into someone in the parking lot. It's oh, yeah, I was thinking Mortal Kombat right now. I don't think that's the case. These are the type of folks that you could be. Bumping into, you know, for the foreseeable future. Next. <clears throat> I was appalled, Miriam I. Carey. I was appalled, the segment where they talked about the lax security this week that allowed all of this to unfold. Security wasn't lax in 2013 when they slaughtered Miriam Carey. In fact, they slaughtered Miriam I. Carey and some of these same elected officials came out and applauded the murder of this black mother because you didn't have lax security. Then oh, remember, they got video. Bravo. Bravo. Great job keeping us safe. We, we have just outstanding. Outstanding. Public officers in the nation's capital. Don't we ladies? Give another another applause. That was how they remember that 2013. We talked about that liberally. That's not how they responded this time around. Miriam I. carry didn't storm the Capitol. No good Obama. Rest of you all not taking it. That's not what she did. She didn't even get out of the vehicle. To say we had lax Security, And then they went on to make it even worse. They said, we were not prepared. We underestimated the crowd. I heard all these reports. Now, I'm not on anybody's security detail. I don't have security clearance. I don't get memos and details about potential threats and what have you. I heard a number of reports where they said, oh, yeah, this was months in the making. They've been planning this for a while. No inkling. You don't have social media. Get on from time to time to check, see what these QAnon folks are up to. Nothing about the Antifa Boogaloo is news to you. We underestimated the crowd and overestimated our own capacity. Even if I accept, if I think, you know, okay, you, you've you had some, some fall off in training and that sort of thing since Miriam Carey days. Okay, even if I think that that was the case, you don't have, like, a phone. Because, like, they broke out phones. They called in multiple agencies like D.C. They have no shortage of enforcement officials. You have FBI and DC police the Capitol police the secret service I mean they just pile up enforcement officials in the nation's capital are you telling me that really the failure was that like really embarrassing system of white supremacy Um, and talking about embarrassment CNN had a report after they showed all the carnage and blah, blah, blah. blah. Incidentally, they let uh, white women, they let white women, uh, I keep trying to use, I'm trying to avoid using a metaphor. They are not identifying white women terrorists. They started that NPR report off and they identified that it was white men coming down here in the mayhem. And then they started interviewing people. And they went directly and spoke to a white woman. And she was one of the ones that said, oh, yeah, someone's going to have to die. Oh, yeah. Bloodshed will be needed. That I could be wrong. I've said before, I'm generally not super reliable at picking out voices uh, for racial classification. Gender, I generally do okay. Not, you know, 100% accurate, but I generally do a whole lot better with gender. Is this a male? Is this a female? I think they talked to a white woman in there that notwithstanding they let all this happen and they had photographs after I guess they restored order and all that they have black people black males specifically they bring them in with brooms and mops buff the floor sweep the glass up and all that will get order restored Negro males yes black male privilege yes yes um week where they had so many things happen last week, we talked about the black male who was tackled with the phone. Uh, we didn't talk about it this week cause there were, you know, more important things. Uh, she was, uh, identified Mia Pancetto. Uh, I know there was some discrepancy about whether or not she's classified as white. Uh, she certainly does not look like a black person to me, but I think she'd be accepted as white. Uh, but she was charged, uh, and she's apparently been or being in the process of being extradited back to uh, New York to face charges for this incident. Uh, I forgot the specific uh, charges, but she has been charged, arrested, processed back to New York, hopefully. And they said it might be more charges. So we'll see how all of that Uh, continues Uh, for this broadcast specifically. uh, If we could not use metaphors, that would be super appreciated. Uh, We heard a number of metaphors. They said that uh, Trump's rhetoric was like red meat for the hooligans who engaged in all of the violence this week. Uh, If we could not use metaphors, uh, frequently racists, they will Use similes, comparisons uh, to practice deception. Uh, They'll take two concepts and insist that they are identical when that is not the case at all. Uh, Victims, myself included, we've been exposed to this misconduct frequently. We will. We're still learning. So frequently we will take some sort of analogy comparison uh, and substitute that for logic, uh, because sometimes we just don't have all of the information, which is fine. I'm still learning myself. Uh, But for this broadcast, if we could try to be precise, direct with what it is that we're trying to say, uh, if you need more time to select your words, no problem. Uh, But I will prompt uh, about the metaphors. Uh, let's see. We could take about five minutes uh, to share our thoughts, observations, comments, uh, just to make sure everyone gets at least one opportunity to speak. Uh, if you have additional comments uh, to share, just make sure everyone shares at least once and then you can contribute again. Uh, let us know if you knew about Eddie Levin's white terrorist in the Tennessee area, that would be super appreciated number again is 720 716 7300 the code 564 943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate let's see first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line Should be open if you have commentary, commentary, excuse me, commentary to share.
6: Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, good evening, Gus. Uh, Mortgage banker from uh, Virginia. hope everybody's doing well. Um, Just wanted to give some commentary in reference to the things happening in this particular area. um, In reference to the uh, quote unquote skirmish that was had uh last week in, in the d c area I found out about it um I was actually working in my basement, and a buddy of mine uh, called me and said, "Are you good because sometimes I do some consulting up in d c and i turned on <laughs> i turned on the television uh um, actually i went to youtube direct- youtube directly went to Al Jazeera It's where I get some of my news majority of my news and um as I was paying attention and watching everything that was happening um the, the first thing I thought of was uh, Mr. Fuller and the concept that he says is that the most powerful uh, white people can shoot a man on a goat with a drone in Afghanistan so you know that they know what's going on in the nation's capital. And so um, the lack of security should not be surprising to non-white people. Uh, the lack of any effort in allowing these um, white terrorists to just run wild and harm each other, uh, should not be surprising. Um, also I was talking to a few military people today and they even pointed out how much, uh, surveillance is in that particular area. And obviously that's never going to be released, but, um, the careful footage that's being released, quote unquote, just on people's cell phones, which is very interesting. And, uh, a buddy of mine in the Marine suggested that they know each and every, one of those white people's names that were involved in that, he said about an hour after it happened with the facial recognition and everything that was attempting to happen. And so all this outrage about uh, those people losing their jobs and all those memes that, that I hate that are really, really tacky. um, uh, They should, you know, we should, they're, they're inappropriate. Um, The other thing is that I did talk to two white people uh, on the day that it did happen, uh, financial advisor, associate, and also A Gentleman That Fixes Computers. And both of their takes were very interesting, a suspected white supremacist. They both mentioned, I wish they would have gotten to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I hate that woman. Um, And I do find for some reason that white supremacists and suspected white supremacists always like to point fingers at her. They also both use the Antifa line, which is a classic radical white supremacist line and, um, yeah, I just think that the events of last week, people should not be confused about it. I hope not why people are not, um, spending too much time and energy over something that should be expected, expected based upon these people's behavior, um, in the past. And, uh, I just wanted to share that and, um, hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, staying Rona free and I'll mute my line. Thanks guys.
35: Much obliged calling in from the Commonwealth. That is a great point about the surveillance uh, because uh, I don't think, I haven't been to Nashville, but I don't think Nashville has uh, extraordinary camera footage, and even they have pretty good uh, surveillance footage of the bomb that took place on Christmas Day. They even released more this week. Washington, D.C. has state-of-the-art surveillance, like all over, and that came up with Uh, Miriam I Carey in 2013 because they didn't even release all the video footage like they had very short clips that they showed of her car going around it was basically like a little 10 second loop and that was it that was all they showed it was quite a bit more video footage but they did not release that about what images uh, you get to see what you don't get to see very important other folks who dialed in with a hand up Line should be open. Uh, proceed.
28: Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter in Florida. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to uh, everyone. I wouldn't expect you to get uh, uh, brought in. Uh, so soon. Uh, But uh, yes, uh, have a report on the DCS mentoring program. uh, First meeting session of 2021.
35: Are you there, retired firefighter?
28: Oh, I I didn't know I was on mute. (laughs) I I didn't know I was on mute. Uh, Greetings, uh, Gus, and greetings to everyone. Uh, Yes, uh, just wanted to give a report on the DCS mentoring program we met uh, uh, today, uh, first time in 2021. Uh, At the top of the list of what we talked about was the, uh, terrorist incidents that, uh, that took place in Washington, D.C. Uh, I had them to, uh, look up the word insurrection and what it meant. Uh, I, uh, one by one had, uh, each, uh, mentee to stand up and, uh, Express their understandings of what took place uh and uh what they thought about what took place in comparison to if non-white black people would attempt to do such a thing and uh some of the reports were interesting Uh, the next subject that we uh talked about in in the in the talking periods that we do uh, uh have uh with with them and I deal primarily with the teenagers early teens is uh the incident where the uh white female racist suspect uh reportedly uh tackled uh the uh i believe fourteen year old black male and basically what I did one by one once again is to uh most of them haven't even heard about it, that particular incident. Uh but uh I explain I explained it and ex, explained it to them and, and what took place and then I uh uh had each one of them to stand up and report on what would be their code if such a thing happened to them. Uh the reports were interesting. <laughs> We're going to deal with them a little bit further, uh, next Saturday. Uh, the audiovisual uh, uh, experience today was, uh, ironically, you mentioned about, you mentioning about something that took place in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which I didn't, I didn't know about, uh, the incident that you're talking about. Uh, but, uh, the film was on Nashville, Tennessee in 1960. What took place in 1960 was non-white black college students at the historical black colleges in the Nashville area uh, uh, organized organized, and uh, uh, put in effect uh, what they called sit-ins at lunch counters. And the reason why I picked that particular segment was – was it's something that they can identify with, you know, the, the, the children can identify, can identify with going to a store and getting, you know, put uh, attempting to try on clothes and shoes and whatnot, that sort of thing. And I basically demonstrated to them that you couldn't do that back then. You couldn't do that back then also and i believe it's walmart where they have walmart actually replaced all of those five and ten cents stores that was taking place back during that time and uh but it's it was similar so they can identify with it uh you couldn't sit at you know a lunch counter and whatever that sort of thing and and they had an opportunity to see young people taking action taking planned counter-racist action uh and and what they were saying and what they were doing uh that sort of thing uh I expressed to them and they they was really getting into it It was really getting into the uh the context of the film itself at the end of it, there was a question and answer period on it and uh they sounded very enthusiastic so uh and I expressed to them how much I learned from them by by asking them questions and listening and that's my report today. Thank you for
6: listening.
35: Greetings, Rob in Wisconsin. Just want to say that is uh, spectacular. Uh, I thought it was important. A retired firefighter in Florida, he said with these uh, young fellas that they've been working with, um, he shared about the incident the black teen, 14-year-old tackled, falsely accused of stealing this white woman's phone. And he said, They hadn't heard about it. That's important. I was going to say that at the beginning, uh, the Eddie Lovin situation, the people who say, oh man, I don't check the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the news. None of that. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It's just a bunch of lies. That is foolish of the highest order. I'm not saying that everything in the news is accurate honest uh lots of frequently they just had a report last week i think where the kansas city publication had to apologize for practicing racism uh with their journalism operation so yes however sometimes when you are reading watching listening to the news you do get accurate information about things that are happening sometimes even accurate information about white supremacy racism eddie lovin's Very important just to be aware of what's happening and or what happened with this teenager uh, being tackled that to have presumably people that would be in the same age group, the same type of thing could happen to them. They don't even know about it. Like, man, just being, you know, aware of the world in which you live, Uh, because I think I was the same. I was the same way at their age and much, much older. That's why I always appreciate Dr. Welsing and Dick Gregory, Mr. Fuller, too, saying, hey, be aware, check the news. Man, just that alone will sometimes give you an idea of, wow, look at how Eddie Lovin is treated. And he's bomb threats. And the uh, Anthony Warner Cook, Think I'm remembering uh, Anthony Cook Warner, Quinn Warner, Anthony Quinn Warner, uh, the suspected bomber in Nashville, they knew about him 16 months in advance. And, uh, oh, well, well, we'll catch you later. And never did. Black fourteen-year-old, almost beaten to death, and he didn't even steal the phone. Just that alone would give me pause. Like, wow, what sort of world? <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, uh, I'm gonna have to think about this a little bit. Like, wow, what is going on? But talk to your children. We say that all the time talk to your children these aren't even his offspring and he's talking to them talk with your children about these incidents when you uh, see things happening to younger non-white people your offspring should be able to relate to that immediately and have them exactly what he said like wow if this type of thing happened to you what would you do get their brain computer metaphor working and thinking wow I'm in a dangerous environment I need to have that on my mind so that I can adjust my behavior accordingly. Like that is so important, especially for young people, because they often don't even think about those type of, as he just said, they often don't even think about these type of things. Robin Southern California. Uh,
20: Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, Greetings, uh, Gus uh callers and listeners. Uh very uh, excellent clips this week. Um I did see a uh, interview with the uh suspected uh white supremacist female and questioned that um, assaulted the uh fourteen year old black male. I saw her do an interview with Gail King Um, and Gail King was trying to get her to acknowledge that she assaulted the young man and she would not admit that she assaulted him and uh, she kept bringing up the father um, touching her or whatever he did to her and then she made a hand gesture and said enough and ended the interview. I found that very interesting Um, and uh, being from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin um, with everything that happened uh, this week, um, it seems that in my observation, something that got overlooked was the officers or officer not being charged. With um the shooting in uh that took place in Kenosha Wisconsin um Jacob Blake, I believe the uh last male name is and so I found it very interesting that the White House unrest and the decision about the officers not being the officer not being charged came out of route came out. Round about, that happened around about the same time. And what made me pay attention to the observation is because I watched the NBA. And so when the unrest happened with George Floyd and then Jacob Blake, the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team um, didn't play directly after that. They didn't play the game and protest. And so when the decision came down that the officer was not going to be charged for shooting Jacob Blake, um, it was a basketball game that was going to take place that night, that evening. And so the anticipation was what were the basketball players going to do, you know, in protest for the officers not being charged. Were they going to protest? Were they not going to play the game? And by that evening, the unrest at the White House happened. And so the basketball games took place. And then when the basketball players took a knee, protested, they said that the basketball players were protesting and what happened at the White House. So totally about the White House unrest and you didn't hear anything about the officers not being charged for uh, paralyzing Jacob Blake. And I found that very, very interesting. And uh, that's all I have at this point. Thank you for listening.
16: Hmm.
35: No coincidences. They normally would check. Like, I remember when the Milwaukee Bucks uh, protested and cause it was a playoff game. Like this was, they said, this is a big deal, like a playoff game where they're not going to play. You know, they're talking about racism and you know, wow, this is incredible. And they, they talked to different players, George Hill. And so I think I played an audio segment where George Hill was talking back then. I would think they would have spoken with somebody like one of the players coaching staff member, water girl, somebody. Um, what's going on? What's up with the players? Are they, you know, protesting in mind? Anything like that? Have they Have they said? Or nobody would give them uh, the metaphor, what they call it, a heads up like, oh, we, I think we're going to do something special tonight. You know, we got Jacob Blake on our mind a little bit and, you know, just, just kind of, uh, yeah, just pay attention to The warm ups that nobody, nobody did that. (laughs) Like we just get to make what do they call it assumption uh, about why they're doing this, and we're just oh they're upset about the disgraceful conduct in the nation's capital. Mm. How patriotic! (laughs) Like wow, that's uh, a at minimum I'd say not great journalism at minimum. No coincidences in the system of white supremacy. Uh, much obliged, Rob in Wisconsin. Oh, excuse, no, Rob in Southern California. We were talking about Wisconsin. That's why I almost said it. Uh, the number seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks who. Dialed in with a hand up if you have commentary to share. Line should be open. Proceed. May I be heard? Uh, Greetings caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you
36: very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, thanks for the audio segment. The, uh, I think it was, it was the lady that was, uh, going to be hired for the PE, I guess, position or something like that. And I guess, uh, the, the, the guy was saying that he didn't know it was in a group text or something. And, uh, they said that they called her husband or something, a derogatory term. I could pretty much guess what that what the term was, but uh, to make the comment that I guess he didn't know it was in a group text, oh, I didn't know. So uh, why else would he even use the term darkies? Like, I guess they tried to make some kind of uh, weak excuse, racist excuse about how, you know, you rationalize using that term. Um, and I thought about that book, uh, two faced racism whites in the backstage and front stage. Um, I've been reading more of that book, uh, and it's just fascinating, definitely. But it just shows that even when white people are, um, confronted about the racism, they still find a way to, um, Band together, either band together or uh, unite in a way to support one another. Uh, And in regards to the uh, the incident, or they like to say the insurrectionists, which is an interesting term, uh, that happened at the Capitol. I still just I still just feel like, wow, white supremacy even. With the reporting, um, how they described everything. I mean, definitely they can turn it into uh, the racial focal point with the Confederate flags. Uh, you know, how I guess one of the people that were arrested was from maybe Arkansas or something. They can utilize that to say, oh, well, see, it's just these certain uh, people from the South or something. But there were reports that showed that some of the people were from not only Florida and Alabama, but places like Utah, California, Baltimore, Maryland, New York. Um, One guy was the son of a uh, Supreme Court judge, I think. Another person, a white woman, was in real estate. Like, these aren't people that's so-called Batwood and speak with a Southern drawl. And everything like that, no, like white supremacy is way more, um, omnipresent than that. So I've been paying attention to how they've been reporting it to that degree. And I just seen just the arrogance of how they said a lot of these white people were posting videos and they didn't care if they showed their identity. Um, you know, they just wanted to just exercise their white supremacist position in society and you know like i said in the uh the audio segment i like how that interviewer i don't know if that was a white person they were saying hey well how are you going to commit this violence what do you mean by colonialism or, or whatever the person was saying and he used he practiced racism by saying well you know we'll get to that later you know we'll we'll you know we'll we'll talk about that later but he was sounding so confident Right. And the violence and the action that he had the instinct that he was going to instinctively do. But once he was questioned on it, oh, well, we'll just say that for later. That's like, you know, that's that codification right there. So the racism definitely is being displayed in a lot of ways. um, And there's more to it than Donald Trump or President Trump or whatever. But I just would. uh, like to just say that definitely keep paying attention to how or is it being used? And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak.
35: Much obliged caller in Florida. Uh, that segment, see, like again, check the news. Like I robustly, uh, disagree with The folks who say, hey, you don't need to check the news, Uh, reading the news is ridiculous or checking the news is ridiculous and and all that. I robustly uh, disagree with all of that, Um, because not only will you see things like Eddie Levin's, uh, you also will see things like this report uh, where this is a white woman who's saying that her she was denied a job. Uh, because she married a black male Uh, and then you get this text where it's she was marrying didn't she start dating the darkies even that didn't the darkies and then the cover up is oh wait a minute wait a minute I I didn't I I wasn't uh, talking about black people he said I meant uh, darkies uh, that are like in the game that's what I was talking about and then it switched from that to, uh, I I thought this was just a private. I didn't I didn't even know we were in a group uh, conversation. See, I got confused. I didn't know this was a group text. Well, uh, well, first you said it. We'll, we'll we'll ignore the. This was your second excuse. But all right. So the second excuse that you didn't know this was a group text. So if this was just a private conversation, this would have been acceptable to be talking about, you know, she's dating the darkies. Was this one to be the, I was just joking. I was just joshing, you know, little tomfoolery. Like, you know, we were just, just messing around a little bit, you know, little private joke between friends. That's in the OJ Simpson thing too. dating. the (laughs) Everyone's favorite topic. Uh, we talk about that on Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Uh, be mindful of those uh, text messages, especially if you are texting to your colleagues and what have you. You should text as though everything that you write is going to be seen by every single employee of the company and maybe everyone in the world. It'll be uh, transcribed. Uh, We'll have it translated in about 50 different languages. We'll put it on YouTube. Like, that's the way you should be because it might happen. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have commentary to share, proceed.
27: Hello, Gus. I wanted to say something. Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to start by uh, reading from the code book, the, the compensatory counter-racist guide on page 89. It says um, the word democracy. It says avoid using this, this, um, this word. When others use it, ask for a detailed explanation that can be um, under, uh, easily understood. And then there's one question when it refers to this word democracy in terms of with the Capitol building um, um, bum rush. Um, Can a person be subject to the system of white supremacy racism and at the same time be a member of a democracy? Because everyone seems to be talking using this word about democracy. So um, I just wanted to pose that and um i just wanted to know ha- have you heard from s dot
35: uh i have not spoken with him in some time he's a cows listener um calls he's called in uh many times over the years i think we might be connected via social media although i do confess to not being like very aggressive about following social media me and you know president trump i guess both are not the biggest fans of of social media um but i think we might be connected uh via social media i have to double check uh to make sure uh to see if he's posting regularly and that sort of thing but i think we're connected there even though i have not spoken with him uh recently
27: great because um i do remember that he was on the cow show um several years ago and he happens to be one of the relatives of Mary and Carrie. So I just wanted to um to um, ask you if, if you heard from him because since this this thing with with I think I don't know if it was his 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 cousin or his step step sister or something and then, you know, and she got killed and then at the same time with the Capitol building how they were able to just go in there and And then, you know, they murdered Miriam for blood and made it sound like it was nothing. So it seems just like something that happened a long time ago with Miriam Carey. It kind of connects with the Capitol building issue. Don't you think?
35: I mentioned her uh, at the top of the program. Absolutely. Um, I reached out to Valerie Carey, who is Miriam's sister, And I believe Estat, I think that is an in-law. Now, my memory could be totally wrong. 2013 is not exactly yesterday. So, you know, forgive if my apologies, Estat and family. If, But I think he said in-law. I think he said in-law. Anywho, um, but I did reach out to uh, Valerie Carey uh, to see if we could uh, speak to her because I thought that I had posted online, uh, I think several times throughout this week and shared. some. she's been posting about it repeatedly. uh, uh, Valerie Carey has been posting about it repeatedly as she, uh, as she should uh, and pointing out the uh, glaring differences in how her sister, her sister who also had her one-year-old child in the vehicle, How they I shouldn't just be how her sister, how they a one year old black child uh, and this black mother, how they were treated as opposed to this band of white hooligans this week. But, yeah, I think it uh, myself, other folks have have pointed that out repeatedly this
27: week. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, sir. And I'll mute my line. Indeed,
35: much obliged. Um, number again 7207167300 the code 564 543 pound 943 564943 pound 564943 pound. we have about 30 minutes or so left in the broadcast uh, if you have uh additional observations, suggestions, comments, uh, you want to make sure you share, uh, do not wait until the last minute.
26: Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey guys, this is Alex in Austin. Um, long-time listener, first time caller. Um, I was reading the ISIS papers recently and thinking about uh Dr. Cress Wilson's chapter on justifiable homicide and she draws lines between uh election season and hunting season and how, you know, in spite of all of the uh performance and promises and broken promises uh made by the politicians, et cetera, et cetera, that the hunting season must kind of go forth. And she kind of starts that that on one page one eighty four. Um but anyway I was just thinking about, um, you know, what that, what the symbols of, of the, the justifiable homicide um, kind of means right now. What, what we might see here, and what we saw at the Capitol, and thinking about the symbols therein, where this woman was, you know, white, a white woman dressed in black garb, forcibly penetrating herself through, of uh, you know, of uh, this symbolically. symbolically Going back to Chris Welsing's, you know, uh, incredible theory, et cetera, forcibly penetrating her way through this brown door, as it were. And I don't know, I'm not trying to scrutinize it so much, but it looked like maybe a non-white hand holding a black gun that, you know, and of course, the symbol of the gun and all of that. And um, just interesting, interesting symbols taking place, you know, here, um, the dawn of the age of Aquarius. And just thinking about um, yeah, the, the hunting season and election season, and she says you know she also says that in spite of all of that, the hunting season must go on, and in, in fact, it's going to intensify. You know, it has to intensify, and she also talks about how um, you know the white white man is is especially uh, interested in killing helpless animals. So um, yeah, just uh, prophetic, you know, as, as I see it, and. Just, uh, yeah, uh, just another another horrible day here in, in, in occupation. You know what I'm saying? So thanks, man. I love your show. Uh, long-time listener. I'll mute my line. Thank you.
35: Much obliged, sir. Hope it's worthy of your uh, time and energy, uh, ISIS papers. Uh, she would say reading is more important than watching television might have a word or two to help folks uh, process what I thought about that repeatedly. Like, man, Dr. Wellsing lived right there in DC. Like we could have had her, like she could have came and literally sat on her front porch and given us like direct commentary uh, about what is happening and all the rest of it. Uh, she is greatly missed. Dr. Welsing, uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary to share, uh, line should be open. Proceed. May I be air? Yes, sir.
37: Hey, good evening, Gus. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, callers. Um, a couple of things. I want to introduce a new term. I, like I said, um, I have research. well, I guess following the um, insurrection attempt. Stochastic terrorism. The article from Wired in um, January of uh, two, January 21 of 2019 is uh, the idea that uh, I guess mr. Trump's rhetoric has, was able to stoke or incite people to act on you know I saying um, on his um, dog I guess uh, not dog was uh, uh, metaphor to act on his words and, and so I want to inter- introduce that stochastic terrorism I want to curious, I'm curious as to any anybody's insight to the claiming of this white woman who's killing the intervention, just uh Ashley Bobbitt. Bobbit so now like so I'm looking at a um, article in the, in the Washington Post titled is her rocky path from guardian of the Capital to invaders so I'm looking at this as possibly being framed as another uh, woman who was uh, also uh, killed in uh, Charlottesville, hell. and I'm curious as, like how they they, they keep uh, anybody insight into that and just just also one last thing is like where there also other Insurrection attempts throughout the country. I guess like, so I think even in your um, up at by your plantation up in Seattle, where Jay Inslee was uh, confronted with white uh, So I'm just curious, is like why you know anybody's insight as to why they're not focusing on these other things, and I guess like I said um, trying to pay attention on these things and pay attention to the patterns. I've my line. Thank you.
35: much excuse me to get my water much obliged sir i guess it depends see it's like uh it might depend to some degree on where you're looking to get your news and or what part of the world country you're in uh because we had the caller from i think a couple of weeks back she was saying that she was not getting very much information about the nashville bombing uh, now I looked and uh, I saw quite a few reports uh, from the outlets that I checked uh, and where we're not in the same parts of the world, but she was saying she didn't see a whole lot. I thought there was a significant amount. It wasn't something that you would miss if you were looking for, I felt. Um, with the other incidents, I did see reports. Uh, they had reports. I know uh, Portland, that's three hours from me. So I think I would see that maybe more than someone in Tennessee, but they had reports that. Uh, white people had been being destructive, violent, same type of behavior, hooliganism, terrorism uh for weeks before this. Uh, and they said this, they'd had all those protests for months now, uh going all the way back in the summertime or what have you, but they had been talking about that. Um, I guess it would I guess it would depend on which outlets uh you check and then how they describe all of that. Um Yeah, I guess it would depend on where you check in terms of, you know, how much of you're seeing uh, in terms of what's happening in the other places and if that behavior gets corrupt. Did they show pictures so that you can see white people out, you know, vandalizing, destroying property, throwing urine, all the rest of it? Uh, but I know at least in the Pacific Northwest, yes, they have been talking about and uh, in very explicit terms like, we are fed up. We've had it up to here. <laughs> Those type of metaphors. And yes, white people out there shenanigans, destroying property, threatening hooliganism, all of the above. Um, let's see. Other folks, uh, if you have observations, commentary, launch be open, proceed. Hi, hello? Yes, ma'am.
29: Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm calling again. I was one of the people that had called last week. I didn't really feel like they were talking about the Nashville bomber, and I did not see anything about the um, new um, person that was going to do another one. So I'm just reporting that I, I didn't hear anything about it at all. And then while you were um, while you were going on uh, to start the program, um, Gus, I got a, a news update that said, um, first it said Apple had suspended um, another social media um, place called Parler. Um, I guess there's a lot of uh, racist white supremacists um activity um been going on there uh for years. So they went ahead and and uh, suspended it. Apple did and now I just got another update that Amazon also has suspended this um social media um place that they call Parlor. Um so I, I wanted to report that and just say, yeah, I I didn't hear about the uh the new the new bomber either so and, and thanks for giving us those reports i really appreciate it um i talked to my um younger people and my family too about you know what would you do in, in that uh situation when the, the lady went um psycho berserk about her phone um and i got some pretty pretty interesting responses um for that there and uh Yeah, that's all I I wanted to say. Everybody stay safe out there.
35: Much obliged. Uh, When you say you got interesting, did, did you get codified responses? Like, did you get codified or did you get responses where you thought, hey, they are they're using logic right on?
29: Unfortunately, Gus, I didn't get any codified responses. Everybody said they would be um, really not caring about doing any jail time um, because they would have um, basically just put hands on the lady and, and beat her up. And they were wondering why was the father um, recording it instead of putting, you know, getting the lady off of off of her, off of his um you know, son, why was he recording it? Why wasn't he clotheslining her or body slamming her or throwing her up against the wall? So, you know, I didn't get any qualified responses I mean, that's, that's I guess that's their code as young people. So, yeah, you know, I mean,
16: yeah.
35: Right on. Right on. Love it. Love it. And if that can be a wonderful, well. I guess depending on perspective, but I think it could be a wonderful moment. Cause you said they gave the responses, you know, I had to put the DDT on her and pow, put the bionic elbow. Okay. Uh, and they said, so why didn't he do that? You know, he should have clotheslined her with the world. If they are serious, like, you know, Oh, okay. Well, uh, I think in this incident, the manager had already got involved, uh, in an accusatory fashion it may have been if he, you know, put hands on this white woman. Ooh.
7: Ooh. <laughs>
35: like, things could have escalated and got much worse. Um, yeah, I mean, that can give you a lot of opportunities to talk about the power of white people and uh, trying to make logical decisions and, whew, Wow that's uh, I think retired firefighter he said he I think he might have even used the same word that he got interesting responses from those young people Uh, folks didn't say that they got logical responses they didn't say they just said interesting which like I said uh, young people are not known for being the best decision makers particularly young people are not known for being clutch decision makers Definitely another reason to talk with young people if you care about them, talk about these situations so that they can start developing those skills and just the pattern of thinking about, Ooh, I might have to make some life saving decisions quickly, like under duress, like, oh, I need to be thinking about that. I wouldn't have been thinking about that. Like, what would I do if somebody came and accused me If I wouldn't even have been thinking that I just would have been thinking put the DDT on them, you know pow, pow, and then ooh ooh, and then you see what happens going that route it can be bad matter of fact Chris Darden said that that's in the book this week. he talks about uh in the trial he said he was going to tell them that they can't say nigger in the trial because he was raised that if a white person called you a nigger you put the DDT on them, you grab him and put them in the <laughs> and Wrong answer, Mister Joe. Yes,
5: Darn. yes. <laughs>
35: <laughs> White people know how to handle that. They got that no problem. Like if you wanna, you even if you beat them down and kill, no problem. They got guaranteed they will not have difficulty finding video. They won't have security lapses. Guaranteed, Even if you beat them down and kill them, they are gonna win that one. Other folks who dialed in, if we have missed you totally. Can I be heard? Thomas in New York. Yes, sir. Good
38: evening. Um, man, that Martin Luther King and Louis Farrakhan, they led millions of black people to Washington and all they had to say was the defense and storm the Congress. And we could have ended this whole problem, but I guess not. Uh, Soho Karen, uh, I don't see how This female could pass for white uh, without a mask on. Uh, This is this would be unprecedented. A non-white accused of racism and hate crime against another non-white. Very interesting. Um, I'm um, personally gonna uh, be very sad to see uh, the current president go. Um, In my opinion, the best president of my lifetime. Wish he had another term. The clip about the black minister um, discussed the 100 to 1 crack to cocaine disparity law, uh, which was co-authored by um, Joe Biden and passed um, by the entire National Black Caucus. Um, um, and now that disparity is 19 to 1. And I never hear any of the politicians or the people talking about this, trying to get that disparity to a one to one where it's not a disparity. It's um, still um, racist law, 19 to 1. Um, the clip about the increasing shootings. Um, the late 80s to early 90s, we had the highest number of shootings and murders in history. Um, what stopped it was the unconstitutional law enforcement practices and the technology, uh, which made it nearly impossible um, to get away with shooting people and not being on tape. Um we have a year where they put a mask on everyone and took the police away. Um, so the question should be who wears a mask um besides superheroes and villains, So you got skiers, nurses and surgeons, construction workers, but also um burglars, stick up kids, hitmen, robbers, you know, these are all the mask wearers. Um so where's the study about how threatening um, defend, the funding of the police department and lack of police policing uh, increase the shootings, or how the mask and face coverings increase the shootings. Um, I think that's more logical. Um, the clip with um, Trump's speech is disingenuous. They cut off the last few words. Um, the danger in the mainstream media, both TV and print, is not reporting the events as per the facts, but making the news, uh, about what their personal opinions are, which like happen to be the opinions of the board members, the network owners and the sponsors of their channels and newspapers. So that's the danger. Also uh, even more danger in the social media censoring and controlling not only the content, but the opinions of people, um, And to go as far as canceling people, this is that cancel culture um, that they don't agree with. Uh, Remember the mainstream media, both TV and print in 2006, called taxpaying Black American citizens, refugees. (laughs) You know, the social media has been flagging and canceling Black content creators for just talking about white supremacy for the last few years, the whole... YouTube channel gets demonetized because you're talking about white supremacy. Um, the capital crimes. Um, I'm glad that you used the com- comparison to Marion Carey*. I use that same comparison on another show to emphasize the hypocrisy of the Congress who stood up to a standing ovation led by Nancy Pelosi, um, uh, for the slaying of this black female in front of her child. Um, that, that, to me, was the hypocrisy, the same Congress who ran to the basement, you know, um, this time, um, just, you know, just the hypocrisy and all that. Uh, I said it all summer that this was total insurrection. They let white people get away with it. White people climbing police stations and burning them down in Minneapolis, creating their own country where only black people get killed in Seattle including New York City, 5th Avenue, Madison Avenue, Tribeca, Soho, Harris Square, Times Square, Portland, white people attempting to bleach, blind, burn, and murder federal offices for three months straight. I don't think a person taking a scientific approach to understand the white supremacy and how it works can view what we saw at the Capitol without putting it in the context of what we saw all summer. And even more so, in the context of what we saw in charlottesville at the beginning of trump's administration um i said it in the past we needed to invoke the hrap brown laws on the protesters and charge everyone with a cell phone ping inside the stores that rooted in this case the Capitol, with the crime of whatever they're going to charge them with um and um, years ago on this show, I, I coined the phrase, um, the Duck Dynasty Boys. And we saw them. We saw all of them. I mean, these were, I saw a guy with the um, Fred Flintstone Freemason hat on, you know, big, you know, shirtless caveman. And, um, you know, and the, the hypocrisy in the media, when you had Katrina happen and black people were stealing television and Jordan and they were making fun of them. I saw a white person running off with a door going podium. What are you doing with that? I mean, unbelievable. Um, so um, the last thing I was just going to say to end it, um, George Floyd murder, since the George Floyd murder, all the way to this Capitol chat, you got more crimes on camera. White people committing these crimes, vandalism, spray painting, breaking stuff, harming people, and no one has gone to jail yet. That I've seen, or no, in national numbers, they left them all free after 24 hours or whatever. Total difference in how we're policed. Everyone in the system of white supremacy needs to see that, that they, this is two different laws we're under. I'll be on thinking.
35: For sure. I think a lot of folks have pointed out the uh, hypocrisy uh, in terms of how groups are. Policed in these different situations. Uh, I do request if we could not do the uh, Soho Karen and other nicknames, I've said that repeat, like these folks should be identified because I feel like in a system of white supremacy, one way they uh, consistently practice racism is not identifying uh, these white mob members or white people who practice racism, white supremacy, uh, and particularly now she's been arrested and charged, like Mia Ponceto. Let's put an exact name on it. And she's got a record for this sort of misconduct. Uh, I did ask Are there any folks who think Mia Ponceto, this is the individual who's accused now, tackling this teen, accused, charged, facing, waiting trial, and everything, uh, accused with tackling this 14 year old black teen? falsely accusing him of stealing her phone. I think there might have been some other charges to it as well. Uh, do you think she's not accepted as white, Thomas, in New York?
38: Uh, Gus, I, I looked her name up earlier and I saw her pictures and her high school pictures. And she's a Latino,
35: uh, uh, quote, unquote, Latino. That's, uh, not a racial classification. Uh, they got, it's one of those where I say either you're white, you're not white. They got so-called white um, Latino and uh, yeah, all that a, on the census. So. A brown, a brown
38: skin Puerto Rican looking Latino.
35: Do you think she's classified as white? I
38: don't think white people would accept her as white. I don't know her
26: classification. Okay.
35: Any of the folks that if people that have like seen uh, either a picture, the I video, maybe you saw the, the Gail King interview, if you know who we're talking about, Mia Poncetto, anybody here thinks she's not white? Can I hear something? God, uh, you responded to the question specifically.
27: Yeah, yes. Yes, Um, Well, um, she appears to be white, but as you know, the white supremacists can give classifications to non-white people as honorary whites, which means that they can be white for that period of time. If the white supremacist wants them to do a particular job to mistreat another non-white person, then they could be non-white. Or if they want to mistreat, they wanted them to do something else, then they could be white. But to me, she appears to be white. But I think we should really find out if she's white or not.
35: If there's a trial, that information should be uh, in the trial. I would think it's let's get clarification uh, about the classification. Incidentally, Mr. Fuller does have in the word guide explicitly to not use the classification honorary white. Uh, The most powerful racists. Absolutely have the ability to change racial classification uh, to suit their needs, to strengthen the system. They can and do that on a regular basis. But he does say explicitly to not use that phrase honorary white Uh, Rob in SoCal. Are you responding to our question information about, do you think Mia Ponceto?
20: Yes, sir. Uh, Being in California, Mm -hmm. um, I think that she would be classified as a Hispanic white.
35: Mm. Robin SoCal, the Hispanic white from the uh, census. Sometimes they'll give it to you. uh, Latino white, Hispanic white. They got lots of different permutations and again this is nothing we don't need consensus here Every victims guaranteed qualified just curious if people think this is someone classified as white not white um, again if they have a trial maybe we'll get clarif- uh, clarification maybe they'll have like her birth certificate or whatever it is and oh there we go anybody else respond to that one before we move on
27: Gus can I just add to what you are saying about the the classifications yes sir Yes, um, it is true that you're not supposed to use that term, honorary white. But I, I still think um, Hispanic is is it is not a racial classification, n- nor is Hispanic is a color. Hispanic is not a color, so you can't use Hispanic either. I'll meet my life
35: for sure. Can I, can I be heard? Uh, give me one second. I just want to make sure we don't. Miss out on some of the folks we missed totally. I'll come back around once we nab the some of the other folks real quick. Folks we missed totally, people that we missed totally, make sure we get you all in.
37: Yes, uh, I believe that Mr. Uh, Fonsetto would be accepted as right.
35: Oh, okay. Brian Did you have any other comments that you wanted to get in,
37: sir? No, just like to just answer the question, because like I said, from the pictures I've seen, while she has darker features, I think she'd still be accepted as white from my, from my experience. And, uh, and I know she made a comment at some point that she was supposed to be Puerto Rican, but I think she'd be accepted as white. Hmm.
29: Okay. Yeah, Wait. she looks like a white woman to me.
35: Okay. Can I be heard. Much obliged, ma'am. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Yes, sir. I don't think that is a white person. Non-white person. Okay. He's in Florida. I so that's... I say, I'm I sorry. Say yes, sir. Uh,
39: can
35: I be heard? My bad, caller in Florida. He said. Non white person, non white person. I was just adding he's in Florida. I think we had uh Robin SoCal, an environment where they uh are known for having a lot of racially ambiguous people. Uh, I think Florida would be another location. Uh our caller in Florida says no, non white person. Uh our female caller, yes ma'am, we can hear you. All
39: right, um good evening everyone. Um she looks like a white person to me. Um I did not hear about that. What's his name? Loving that guy in Tennessee, I think, I think that's what you said. I didn't hear about that. Um, my commentary was on the, um, I don't know what to call it. Um, there was white people rioting in Washington DC. What I haven't heard is that the blue and blue lives matter, even though a police officer was killed, um, in Long Island where I am, there was a protest. Apparently in Levittown. uh, Teacher, I don't know what a the teacher is. A teacher uh, posted a comment um, under a picture of rioters po- posing for pictures with a police officer, and captioned "terrorist." And the the people in Levittown are protesting the teacher because they're saying, um, "How would the teacher treat their children?" if they came into school wearing about the blue or blue lives matter how would would that teacher treat the the student so they're protesting the teacher and uh, that's all the commentary i have thank you
35: i think i saw the reports about that the selfie with the enforcement officer and all the rest of it nonsense all the way around um, much obliged uh, for sharing she answered our question too thank you kindly um, with it, did we miss anybody anybody that has a hand up that we missed totally make sure we don't miss folks before we get ready to wrap things up anybody we oh oh, wait a minute folks that we missed uh, Henry in Chicago uh,
4: can I be heard yes sir um, I think Mia Pancetto, uh because she's racially ambiguous. Uh she would probably in this case be classified as white because the fact that the victim was a was a non white black uh black male. So uh in this case she would be classified as white. Uh even though she looked you know kind of like a bit racially ambiguous. Um but, you know, uh wanted to also talk about the uh insurrection or Wednesday's event at the Capitol. Um, me personally, I think it was a, it was a great day in America, uh, white-on-white crime, uh, one of the biggest white-on-white crimes uh, in American history. Um, heard a lot of um, Minister Malcolm's old quotes uh, on uh, Wednesday, chickens coming home to roost. Uh, this is the same uh, white supremacist system that uh, brought about Donald Trump. So, you know, now they're coming to uh, reap, the, reap the benefits from it. So a bunch of angry white people come and storm the Capitol. And uh, just, as, uh, just as was said before, obviously, you know, uh, white people get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, obviously, you know, this was a Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protest where they were trying to storm the Capitol. You know, everybody would be dead. Shot down, gunned or killed, but um, uh, I've said this before uh, non-white black people are not Americans uh, because we do not benefit uh, from the citizenships uh, that white people do uh, because obviously uh, they are white people um, when you're talking about American citizenship, the only thing about us is that we were we were just born here that was it. Uh, but this kind of proves on wednesday that this you know we're not we're not citizens of this country but white people are so um but also to uh not i guess uh not being talked about is the the uh, the pandemic uh the numbers have increased i think they've like the have high, the highest numbers of covid cases and deaths uh you know for the last couple of months uh, what's also interesting is here in chicago uh next week they're trying to get the teachers some of the teachers and the students back into the classrooms uh when the covid numbers are the highest so a lot of teachers are protesting that uh obviously uh, cps uh roughly about 70% of the students are are uh are uh, non-white black uh black uh, children so uh, but obviously you know the system does not uh does not cater to non-white people and uh I'll, uh one last thing uh the the uh the events that happen on Washington uh and I just said a few minutes ago about the uh the numbers going up I'm I'm expecting the numbers to go up in Washington as well uh because I'm you know being that a uh, super spreader event uh, a bunch of white people most of them weren't wearing masks uh and storming the Capitol, giving it to other people and spreading it across the the country. So I'm expecting numbers to go up even more. Uh, but that's all I have on my line.
35: Wow. Much obliged Henry in Chicago. I was a little, uh, nervous for a moment. I was thinking Washington, does he mean Washington state? He said he's the super spreader event at the thing. Goes, oh, okay. He means Washington DC. Like, oh whew. yes. Uh, as you were, commenting i have the news on and the story that they just were talking about it was COVID 19 and it had as bad as ever and it just had a massive graph of it just getting worse and worse and worse and yeah that wasn't really talked about a whole lot they in fact they quarantined an entire professional sports team i think the philadelphia 76ers they got quarantined in New York. I think unless I misread the report, they said that I think one of the players tested positive and I, I was stunned. I'd never even heard of a, such of an entire team professional sports team uh, being quarantined. And then I was checking for California where it's been really bad and they've had mega lockdowns and things. We've had, we got lots of cows listeners in California. I saw the report. I didn't even play it. We had so much audio. I didn't even include it, but it was uh, cardiac arrest patients. With low survival chance, L.A. ambulance crews told not to transport them to hospitals. I had never seen that before. I shared it and some of our cows listeners in California were like, yep, it's that bad. It is pretty horrible. I guess that would be another good reason to try to take good care of yourself and make sure that you are in as quality uh, like physical condition as you can be. Uh, so that, you know, you're not jeopardizing yourself if they have events like this where they're triaging medical care. But, wow. Uh, quite a 2021 so far. Are there folks we missed uh, totally? Dialed in with a hand up, just making sure. Haven't missed folks completely. The caller 0126, 0126. Did you have commentary? Yes, Nabby I heard? Yes sir.
10: Hi, good night. Well, um good night to everybody listening. And I've noticed that um violent crime has gone up during the pandemic. Um also I've noticed that medical apartheid is a crucial underlying medical it's, it's a crucial it's crucial to the medical underlying condition that's plaguing non-white people's of the country and With the pandemic going on, most of the things that are happening are because people are sick and they don't know that. And that's why they're being affected so badly. And the insurrection that we were watching on TV at the Capitol, I think that was a a plain example of white supremacy on display. Just in case, you know, there's a lot of people that don't really think that. Well, they think the word equality is for black people or colored people, and it's not. And laws, the laws that we see are made for us, non-white people. And that was a a display of that. And that's it. I just want to tell everybody, do your yoga, stay up the street, things are a little crazy outside, practice breathing. That's it. I'm in
35: my line. Wow. Love it. I don't even tell people to do (laughs) yoga but that is a great recommendation do your yoga love it take uh some self-care do some breathing or at minimum you can do some meditation if you don't want to do a whole lot of yoga and work up a sweat you can do some meditation calm yourself get some deep breathing in it's late anyway you should be getting ready to go to bed absolutely self-care super super important in the midst of all of this uh chaos eddie lovin's all the rest of it darkies (laughs) dating darkies on the uh group text message did we miss anybody i know there was someone uh i got confused their number was very similar to someone who's already on the line but it was actually a different caller so my apologies i think i might have missed a person or maybe two was anybody we missed totally who has a hand up Grant. I will assume we got everybody. Might have missed one. My fault. I will try and do better. Um, We will be here. uh, Pat McKenna. Uh, We just read about him for folks in the book club. He's one of the lead investigators for O.J. Simpson's uh, criminal defense team in 1995. He located the Furman Tapes nigger this and nigger that and all the rest of it. Uh, Pat McKenna should be with us on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We can get more details about his involvement with the case. Uh, If he thought the juice was guilty when he first joined the team, uh, how he acquired the Furman tapes, uh, how willing, how cooperative was Laura Hart McKinney? We just talked about that. Was she willing? Had she been sitting around like I am a well-meaning white woman. I want to do the right thing. I might, I don't know if, if the juice did it or not, but I want to do the right thing. Mark Furman, he's sitting up here lying and saying that he never said nigger and all the rest of it. And I know he did. I'm going to do the right. And I got tapes of not just him saying nigger. I got tapes of him saying that he plants evidence on niggers who are married to white women. Like yee, this can be real relevant to the case. Did she step up and say, I want to do the right thing? Or was this, what's the metaphor? They say like pulling teeth to get these tapes from Laura Hart McKinney. We will see. Pat McKenna uh, Tuesday and then the book club continue because I don't think all that detail is in the book but I don't know because that's way down the ride. But the uh, book club, that is Thursday 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We are starting the O.J. Simpson criminal trial. I am so excited. If it doesn't fit you must acquit uh, excellent opportunity to study learn white supremacy racism what does it mean to be white and why does this case have such resonance for white people Twenty now 26 years later why does it resonate so with individuals Girl, can I say
38: one last white? thing
35: uh, let's hear your last thing sir my bad OJ Lots, lots of folks if you study the case I think a whole lot of folks uh, just looking at the details might have to uh, mea culpa, mea culpa. They, white supr- white supremacy propaganda and they're so good it's so deceptive they got the uh, FX series and the uh, DSPN document they have so much great propaganda that scoundrel feverish no good OJ Simpson I was confused too it got us all Uh, We will continue. Pat McKenna. I'm excited. Pat McKenna Tuesday and then the book club on Thursday. Uh, If you have questions, uh, suggestions, what have you until justice at gmail.com. We will be here on Tuesday. Uh, White people permitting stay safe. I feel like I've been saying it for a long time. I was saying it for 2020, but new so-called year. And I'm still saying it. I would say hunker down. Uh, You have a lot of very dangerous white people. Uh, they they will have lots of excuses. They'll say they're upset about the election. Uh, they're upset about the defund the police talk. They're upset about the Rona. They're upset about the mask regulations. They're upset because they lost their job. Like long list of gripes that will somehow conclude with them justifying being violent with you. Hunker down. If you don't have to go out, uh, sit tight. Be safe. uh, Talk to people that you care about. You can talk about the OJ Simpson case. Get work done. Work on things that are constructive. Clean up at the house. Lots of things that you can do. If you have to go out, it would be really focused. Very alert, paying attention to your surroundings, what's going on. Can't just be casually out, mindlessly roaming through public spaces. Uh, it's just it's not those times. Uh, it is super dangerous, especially if you are classified as black. Uh, this is no time for verbal altercations in public. Unless you left your residence. Hey, <laughs> I'm prepared for Mortal combat. Like I'm not taking lip from anybody not losing out on my parking space. If it's the last pack of corn dogs, last pack of tofu, whatever it is, I'm willing to die right now. Victims guarantee qualified, but I don't think most of us, that's not what we had in mind when we left. You should be thinking, oh yeah, there are a lot. Eddie Lovins, man, (laughs) he didn't just have firearms, explosives. That's what you should be thinking. Like, that was not on my agenda at all. Anything that looks like that, pfft, avoiding. We can try this again at a later date. Looking to exit. Unless you are right now, I'm prepared for. I'm prepared for Eddie Lovins right now, explosive at all. I'm prepared. If that means I'm going to die in the next 30 seconds, I am prepared. No problem. BGQ. I don't think most of us. That's not what we had in mind for our January 9. Universal man, universal woman, I think should involve preserving your life. You want to be here to help solve the problem and uh, do other things. Hopefully we can get this problem solved and experience being universal man, universal woman. Sobriety would be best. Man, I do not think being intoxicated with everything that's happening right now. That is not going to help at all. I think we need a fully functioning brain computer so that we can make great decisions. We heard, unfortunately, a lot of young people who seem to not be very informed about racism, white supremacy, didn't seem to have logical responses for dealing with critical situations. Fortunately, we did hear from several Uh, attempted counter racists who are talking to some of these young folks and trying to share logic try to do more of that part of that hopefully will include sobriety would be best us being under the influence with white narcotics is not going to help us solve our problems all of that said if you are going out you're sober you're alert if you're driving you are buckled up and you are not on the cell phone. Uh, this is just doing the small things to minimize contact with the Mark Furmans of the known universe. little things that we can control all of that said, Creator, We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves, remind us to demonstrate. The highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. No name calling. That comes up in the OJ Simpson case, like racial showcasing, name calling other black people, like immediately <laughs> no Name calling. Chris Darden would have been so much happier. He would have still took an L, but at least no name calling. Uh, Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
22: Nigga,
6: you so brainwashed.
23: I'm a victim, brother.
6: Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs>